You can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven tooth comes from the green dragon. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I will be hosting today, and I am joined with me by Jeremy. Hello, Kylie. I'm so glad you're hosting. This is fun. Yeah, I thought we'd uh, mix things up a little bit. And of course, our our regular host, Matt. Why am I even here? Okay, this is going to be interesting. You're you're the dissenting opinion, Matt. You know, the person person we go to when we need a, a fresh take. When you, need someone, when you need someone to be wrong so you can tell them why. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Excellent. Aren't we always dissenting opinions, all three of us? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is that is kind of our MO. So, kind of give a brief overview of what our episode is about today. We're basically going to be taking a real critical analysis of Lord of the Rings or Middle Earth SBG. So really, you know, cracking open the hood and, and having a look at what are the inner workings of the game, kind of a bit of the design philosophy of the game, uh, the identity of the game, and kind of how the core rules uh, interact and stuff. So I think the first thing we kind of want to get into is the feel of the game. Like... What, what what are your thoughts on how the game feels at the moment, as opposed to, you know, how the game was being played, say, 10 to 15 years ago? What What is fundamentally different? Okay, so from my perspective, I, I do think that the game is actually in a really, really good place. I think they've done, over the course of time, I think it's gone from, you know, a really fun system, and it's always been amazing. From the very beginning, I think it was good fun. But they've really... Uh, done little tweaks at a time over the course of time and brought it to a point where it it feels very balanced. It feels like anything can compete. Um, And and it kind of always has, I guess, but I feel like every time they make a change, it sort of does feel like that's what they're trying to do. And I like that a lot. It's either that or it's completely thematic, which is, you know, that's fine too. My opinion on the state of the game is pretty excellent, honestly. But... Having said that, there's a reason why we're doing this episode, and it's to sort of talk about things that we think could be done differently, whether that's better or worse, that may be subjective, but we're definitely going to talk about our opinion on gaming in general and what makes games fun. Uh, And I I think, hopefully, give our perspective down under, what we think about it down in Australia, and perhaps just the three of us. Uh, and how that actually might differ to people overseas and just to, to you, the listeners, and what you think about games. Well, that's a big question. I'm glad we've got lots of things divided up for a bit later on because I think we're going to go into a, a little bit more depth later on. But overall, uh, I think we've been moved a bit more away from uh, like grand strategy with, with model by models to more like a, more combinations and army lists and and choices based on around certain models and and little mini lists so whether that's a good thing or a bad thing i'm not entirely sure it feels more like a like an army list game uh than it did in the past i think um in my opinion and i think that's partly because of some of the rules pushing certain lists and certain synergies and things in that direction but overall i think it's benefited from a, a lot more input and some real real drive from the design point of view and from the community as well so i think it's in a, it's in a pretty good place and i think it's got just that right pace of change where things are changing 
but they're changing slow enough that they're not like making we're not seeing massive mistakes in our changes or, or massive issues uh we'll see a few issues every now and again and we, we're definitely very vocal about that but overall I, i'm happy with it it's it's making changes and usually these changes are for the better and they've got a real like they've got a point to them i think at the moment so we can see that they're coming from we want to make sure when people turn up for a game where they haven't planned what they're going to play that they get something that looks like lord of the rings that feels like lord of the rings but everyone can have a go and everyone can can have a chance of winning as well yeah i i agree with that as well jeremy it's 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 an interesting um uh point that you brought up about how it's feeling a bit more of an armulist uh game now I distinctly remember from, you know, going back uh, probably 10 plus years, probably probably even almost, uh, you know, 13, 14 years where what army list you had wasn't wasn't particularly uh, kind of super important. It was more about, you know, how, how you were playing um, your models. And, and in a way, kind of the fact that we call the game a strategy battle game, it, it feels almost a bit of a, a, a misdirection now because it feels more of a tactical battle game than a strategy battle game, you know your big sweeping plays and your grand ideas of, of how you're going to push your armies forward is a lot different now as opposed to when a, when the game was first in its uh, infancy back at the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, and the Return of the King rule books. So it's very interesting to see how the game has developed uh, over time because in a way it's 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 the core of the game is, is still there, but kind of the bits and bolts that are added onto it um, are, are very, very different. And... It's part of um, the reason why we wanted to talk about this episode is because some of the changes, I think, are not going in a direction that is healthy for the game. And there are some changes that are doing really good things, but there's this weird kind of, you know, push and shove between, you know, some really well-designed stuff with the game and some really poorly designed stuff with the game. And it's it's interesting to see how they're interacting at the moment because it can be a bit, it can be really awkward at times. I think we have to put a little disclaimer there, Kyle. I think we have to say allegedly poor design because I don't think it's been proven in court yet. All right. That's a fair point, Jeremy. Allegedly poor designs. But yeah. all right. Wait, well, wait for the conviction. Wait for the yeah. conviction. Well, let's wait for the conviction. But let's let's kind of um, kind of really get into it. Let's get into the kind of the first part of this game because, you know, our game is built around, you know, Tolkien's Legendarium. It's built around the Lord of the Rings and, and the movies and uh, that, that come with it. So a big part of that are the characters, uh, the models and the characters that we, we have. So, you know, you know characters like Sauron, like uh, Saruman, you know, Aragorn, Frodo, all these wonderful characters that we see on the tabletop. You know, how are they represented in the rules and what is what are kind of their themes around how they are played and designed? Yeah, so I think the if we go to, like, a prime example of a model that impacts the tabletop in a way that greatly represents how they are in the in the world of Middle-earth and in the Lord of the Rings, I think the first model you look at is the Nazgul, in my opinion. The way that they impact the tabletop, the way that they lock down enemy heroes, they spread fear, they make models stay still in their tracks, they do all these things... But they can also be incredibly fragile. They are wandering around in the land of the living and, you know, they can be banished. They can be pushed back. These great legendary heroes can impact on them, such as Aragorn and Glorfindel, which we see in the films and in the books. I think when you're looking at what you want out of a theme for a game, 
It's for character interaction that mimics the world that you are playing in. And for mine, Nazgul are a great example, and there's obviously many, many others. There's so many characters, like there's there's hundreds. That's what you want to see represented in the rules. Yeah, I think uh, you've got it really well uh, well done with things like the, the Fellowship, where you've got each of them's individual, and you've got people like Boromir who can take on the world for a short amount of time, but then if he gets shot out or he eventually loses a combat, he goes down really quickly. So you've got that... that uh, cinematic moment. You've got Aragorn who can constantly influence the game as long as it's going on. But but once again, he can do anything he wants at the start of the game. But as the game gets on, he might get a little bit tired and start wearing out as well. So I think a lot of these heroes, especially, uh, they're at the core of the game, but they also really generate uh, the, the feel of the game, that Lord of the Rings feel, and, and some of the subtleties to it as well. And and that's I think I think where we've got it. Uh, some of the other characters don't seem to be as interactive and and um, as thematic there. Some of them just make you a bubble that just stand in the background and have a power that's turned on all the time and don't actually do much. I feel like those those themes, almost representing the choices you make with your heroes, which are usually ones mentioned in Tolkien's book, but sometimes they're, they're invented by Games Workshop or, or other places. But just that, that interaction between that character and the choices that they make, um, that you make for them, I guess, on their behalf, definitely show the theme of the game. Yeah, I 100% agree with the both of you. I think you, you've really kind of set out some really, really uh, clear examples of, of, you know, how how we would like to see our characters represented in, in the game. And I 100% agree with the Nazgul. They are, I think, the the, the, the cream of the crop, the, the, the premier example of a really well-designed character in the game. Because we want these characters that we see in, in the movies and the books you know, have an impact of the game. You know, do this cool moment, or, or or show us. You know, as we play with them on the tabletop, these these iconic moments that we we see played out on the screen or, or in our books. And it can be really disappointing sometimes when you know you have a model that his sole role in the game is to sit there and just be there, and that's all they do. They don't do anything else except sit there. And that's that's a bit kind of what we're seeing a little bit more of in some of the new uh, uh, profiles and stuff that are, are being released. It's, it's, it's very one-dimensional. They do not kind of show off some, some new interesting mechanics or some, a new way of um, playing the game or even representing their model. They're just kind of very auto-take, auto-fill, uh, put it down and kind of forget about it. And that's it's, it's kind of really disappointing in a way because, like we said earlier, the, the game is, is turning a bit more into this, this, this list-based dynamic and these models that just, you know, throw down an aura are not really uh, improving the, the healthiness of the game and, and creating new opportunities for, for us to play, uh, to play the game in. Kylie, can you give me a specific example of this? Because I'm trying to get my, my head around what you're saying by those um, the characters. Like, I've gave examples of ones that are very interactive. What ones would you say that are, are recent characters that, that lack that? Uh, I think the, the best example I can think of is uh, the new ranger hero, the Burkles, that basically just turns off elven cloaks and uh, um, and uh, makes all your guys within six inches of him have elven cloaks. And that, that, to me, feels a little bit cheating because it's not really, it's not really you know emphasizing a, a, like a, a new way of playing or a new impact to the table it's just kind of he's there you set and forget kind of kind of deal and we, we kind of don't really it's, it's not that fun and we'll get, we'll get into uh, into that kind of stuff a bit later about you know what makes the, the game 
are fun and, you know, interactivity and stuff like that. But in terms of, like, characters that, you know, uh, shamans uh, can be at times are very uh, susceptible to this and even your your cast Bunny Light uh, characters can be susceptible to this. Um, it, it just, it just at times, just feels wrong. And it, it doesn't... Okay, so, so you're speaking specifically about that Marblung type, which is it's there to give an army-wide special rule, essentially... But a model's generating it, so that when that model dies, it takes it away. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I guess I agree with you on that specific one. I'm sure we hear more later on with that. But yes, I, I can see where you're coming from mm. from that point of view. It, it's a, it's a potential. Uh, I don't know if it's an auto choice or not, but it's a choice that affects your whole army with one model. But that model doesn't really do anything. It just sort of acts and, and protects itself, and and uh, the that effect on its whole army is much greater than then it's there and there's no choice in it really yeah and that, that's kind of the thing that we, we would love to we'd like to see is a bit more choice in how we do things i think it would be really cool if we had a scene uh marblong as i would say a, a one three one character that could use his will points to turn off the special the uh the elven cloak special or put it uh or, or give yourself elven cloaks for a turn that would have made that rule feel a bit more of a choice and you're constantly then having to think about okay when and where do i use this special rule rather than it's just there all the time and i've got it there's and that's that's kind of where i feel you know where it would have been a really well designed rule and as opposed to a really poor design rule so that... that's what the shade does now isn't it that's that's pretty much the that that's gone from a, an auto choice, well, not an auto choice, but but a, a, a rule that you don't think about too much to to when we actually have to have some thought into what you do and when you do it. So, mm. uh, is that what you're talking about, Kylie? That sort of idea? Yeah, that sort of idea. I think this is probably a really good segue to kind of like jump into kind of some really well designed rules in the game and some really poor designed rules in the game, like kind of uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. This is allegedly. all our opinion. This is all. This is all our opinion. But, you know, what we see is well-designed rules and what uh, are poorly designed. Matt, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, sure. So um, we, we sort of, Kylie and I were spitballing this episode and we were sort of talking about what we like about the game and what sometimes we find. It, it's generally not so much that we don't like it, but that we, that we see it as rather pointless. So I'll go into some good stuff first. Um, good rules, shielding. Shielding is a fantastic rule because it lets you use a model in a different way. It gives you a choice to be offensive or defensive, to take a risk or to try and play it safe. It's just... It's hard to understate how important shielding is in the context of our game. It's it's universal. It's massive. Um, and it, it just sets up your mindset for these kind of choices and how you can play the game differently and i think that that really strikes to the core of what we're trying to get at with this episode it's it's talking about player agency and and what makes games fun and why choice is so important in games because if there's no choice if stuff is just objectively better or worse then you can play a game optimally and you'll get the same result every time right it's just that's not what you want that's not fun you want risk you want challenge you want something interesting out of your games um another great example of choice is you know just generally the use of resources but primarily might uh in either heroic combat is is a great example it's probably the best use of might i would say most of the time because you can use it not only to set yourself up to get heroes into key targets but also just to reposition. Uh, there's so many different ways that you can use a heroic combat, and it, you know it's generally well accepted that models that have, for instance, a free heroic combat. Uh, uh, what's an example? Well, 
Aragorn, obviously. He can free anything, but uh, Thorin... Uh, Elendil. Elendil, yes, yeah. of course. Uh, Dwarf Shieldbearers, even. Uh, there's that Warhound hero. Sam. Sam. He's, he's amazing, Sam. I love him. Yeah, they're all amazing. All of those models that have that are fantastic. Seriously. So, heroic combat, undeniably a great rule. Um, and great to make use of, but important in that you have to call it at the right time. You have to set it up. It's not just run in heroic combat. There you go. You're fine, right? You've got to make it work. So heroic combat, really great rule. Jeremy, we have some examples here of poor rules or any others that you can think of, but maybe you could um, say what you think about this because Kylie has written down a couple of things here. I I want your opinion on them. Good, good. Tell me what they are, and then I'll, uh, right, I'll give so you my The opinion. first one we've got written down is two-handed weapons. Mm, two-handed weapons, that's that's not a new design rule. That's been there from the very, very, very beginning of time. Uh, I think they got the maths wrong on it very early on, in that to order to, to get the benefit from it, you really need to be almost in a win-more mode, where you have to have so many attacks that the negative's irrelevant. I like the choice. What I don't like is that you you end up paying for an ability that you're probably not going to use most of the time because it's not an optimal choice of it. Um, I love some of the new choices they've gone for it. There's specifically the Clansman of Lamadon that six they've got suddenly Broadside. means it's a yeah that that's a fantastic way of representing the two-handed weapons. I like that much more than Burly because Burly's just like oh we'll take away all the negatives. I like that one because there's some negative, there's some choice. Well, for those guys there isn't any choice, but I think that would be um. Worthwhile. I know, Kylie, we play some scenarios a bit where we've almost had to agree uh, at the start of the game, like, we'll just use two-handed weapons. Yeah. Because other yeah. times, like, we've got orcs. We've got a pile of orcs, six orcs with two-handed weapon, and they never use their two-handed weapon because it's, it's just not optimal. So we almost have to say, we'll use it just for the theme of it. And I think that's that's a problem in that, that the, the bad outweighs the good in most cases for that one in particular. So, yeah, I, I agree that's allegedly poor poor rules writing, and I think it's just because they haven't got the balance quite right on it just yet. Um, that said, two-handed weapons when you've got three, four attacks and a higher fight value, amazing. Uh, so that was the first one. What was the other one? The other one is Heroic Challenge. Oh, <laughs> Heroic Challenge. Uh, even with the Lurtz's new ability to, to get free stuff, um, this one I feel like was uh, something that, that someone maybe said was a good idea and then just really wanted to push it in. I don't know. This is just totally a legend, my idea. But I can't see it, it working. And it's one that, that people pick up straight away. It's, why would I do this? It's, it's, it's too many moving parts in order to get a very minor benefit and and it's one that I feel like we're going to just keep getting rules on it and rules on it rules on it because I think it's going to be like triple down quadruple down on you will be using heroic challenges you you must do this one uh, I think it's just the fact that you're getting into someone's face means that it's it's more set up than almost any other special rules like normally once you get into someone's face you're calling those really killer ones like a, a strike or a heroic combat or something like that that's, that's absolutely game-changing Whereas I think the biggest issue with the challenge is the other person could just say, no, thank you. So you go, you set it up, you do all this work, you get close, you move your guys in, you get an optimal situation, and you go, right, Kylie, I challenge you to a duel. And you just go, no, why would I? And yes, you might get some negatives later on, but I've gone to all this work to set it up, and I'm probably out of position now. So I think the problem with that one is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, there's no other heroics that I know of that you could just flat out just say, no, thank you. And then it doesn't happen. Imagine if you could do that with strike or or channel or anything like that. Kylie goes to to do a channel in one of the wraiths, and I'll just say as my as her opponent, just say, "No, you're not going to do that." 
I'll decline that one. It would be frustrating, and I think that's probably the issue with that one. I have more than anything. I, I think it's not quite right, but I think it's the fact that someone else can just say, yeah, you can get resources. You can spend your resources, but I'll just say, no, you don't get the effect of it. It just seems weird. Mm, like, I, I 100% agree with you, Jeremy. Either you, you should like alerts get refunded, that might point, or what could be cool is have a significant drawback to declining. Like, say you, you can't call any more heroic actions or... Because that would mean heroic challenge is suddenly a really powerful tool at your disposal. You know, you throw someone like, you know, an Aragorn into into another hero and then it's a choice of, do I go for the strike and try to chop their head off straight away um, at the risk of maybe not having the attacks or do I run in if I think that if they're too tanky, call the challenge and then lock out their ability to lead for the rest of the game. Like, there should be some really significant drawback to declining a challenge. I totally agree with that. And look, I would take it even further than that. If you really want Mm. heroic challenges to happen, make it so bad that people are going to accept it, even if it's not in their favor. For instance, the entire opposing army suffers a negative two to their courage. Can you imagine? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, something like, like that, that hero is no longer a hero. Yeah, to just lose all the heroic stats. They become like, a warrior. On, no mind, Nobody no will, will follow no them anymore. Hmm. Absolutely, yep. lose, yeah. lose, lose be... their stand fast. Lose, lose their ability to do any any of their tactical actions. Like that, that would be so like yeah. I, I agree, hundred percent agree, Matt. That that would be a beautiful change to challenge to to make it extremely relevant. Because not only then will it then affect you know how you spend right might, but it affects how those heroes with challenge are placed on the table. You know, you can then start to zone out other heroes and zone out other models because they're like, I don't want to go anywhere near, like, that Bolg or whatever that has challenge. I don't know if Bolg has challenge, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> we don't even know who has challenge. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't that's, care. Like, like, that's how much we don't care about it. But I know yeah. Aragorn does for a fact. But it would then mean that Aragorn can kind of step into a space and go, right, if you pull your big, fat, scary hero towards me, I'm going to run in and challenge it. And at that point, your opponent's going to go, uh, I kind of really don't want my ring wraith to get challenged here because he is the only reliable standfast in my army. Suddenly, it changes the dynamics of the game and changes how models are positioned on the table. And that would be so, so, so interesting. It would make the game, you know, objectively, I think, more fun. I think it would be even better if we had the option to, like, if, say, you challenged Aragorn and he, he declined it, he would have to lose his title. So, like, you know how he's got all those titles, Alisar and Aragorn and Son of... Like, he'll just lose them all and just get, like, Aragorn the Fool or something like that from there on. That would be that would be the ultimate Tolkien-esque sort of punishment. The Fool. Yeah, I love that. You, you just staple that onto the profile. Get rid of everything else and it's just, like, I don't know, Amdur the Fool. Gandalf the Fool. I love that. I mean, that. You, you could do some really clever stuff with that with having other models that get benefits from uh, attacking... Or interacting with models that have declined challenges in that way. So there's some fun stuff you can do. And kind of speaking of fun, what makes the game fun, guys? Like, I think we've talked a lot about, you know, fun uh, and what takes away from fun. Let's start with the positive aspect. What makes the game fun, in your opinion? Why why do you play Lord of the Rings, basically? (laughs) This is a a big flip, isn't it? We've gone from our in-depth sort of look to to an overall about it. Why do, why, what makes it fun? Uh, from a, like, I think the theme is part of it, what makes it fun. I think we, we, 
we like Tolkien's work and we like the movies or the, the books or something, something along those lines, something we like, the models maybe. But I think the actual gameplay, so we're talking about gameplay specifically, what makes the gameplay fun, I think it's that that to and, f- and fro, that interaction, the fact that, that we've got that inbuilt so much where like priority can go at any time. You've got so many choices with all your different models moving around. You've got uh, every guy's got their own story. So we always remember that one like Gondorian warrior that goes and takes out a troll or, or something like that. You get these heroic moments, but you're constantly making choices. And I think in a game like this, those choices are what's fun. I think it stops, for me anyway, I don't know about other people, it stops being fun when I feel like I'm just following a script rather than actually making choices myself. Okay, what do I do now? Should I call the move now? Do I march now? Do I run now? Do I move to the left? Do I move to the right? When I stop doing that, it's just like, okay, now I have to do this. Now I have to do this. Now I have to do this. Now I have to strike. Now I have to... Like, once I once it's got to that point, I think uh, some of the fun's taken away from my point of view. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, for, I, I totally agree with that. For, for me, it's like almost a puzzle and you're you're puzzling up against someone else and it's who can fit the pieces in the right place it's who can make everything in your army work and often that's Kylie unfortunately for me but (laughs) occasionally when I get all my pieces to fit and I trick my opponent and there oh that piece goes over there this piece here and uh, you, you just get a victory out of what seemed to be a totally even fight that that can be one of the best moments for me you know as you say interaction it's all about interaction you need to have choice you need to be able to make your own path like as you say if if the whole game you can see exactly where it's going to go then why would you play it like what would be the point you've already seen what's going to happen there's there's no reason to continue to move the models they're already done so yeah i i totally agree with that perspective on the gameplay jeremy and i think you know absolutely that's what we're talking about here today Mm, but yeah, we've got our bias out. Some people might like that. Some people might just like like the story unfolding because I know that especially some more like historic type war gamers or um, people who, who like the scenarios but actually just want to follow what the story is don't mind it being just a bit of a storytelling experience as well. So I know there is some appeal to that. And I, I think I cross over at some point to those really small scenarios that are a couple heroes where it's – I know Kylie hates these ones, but like you know what's going to happen. You follow your script, but it's it's – you can find out what happens there. But as long as it's quick, if it's like four hours of doing that, I'm not interested. But if it's a 20-minute scenario, like a, a Scaring the Shire one mm. or something like that, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, I can see that. But t- kind of like uh, um, taking your point, further, I think what really makes the the game fun, at least for me, is, is how might, will, and fate interact with the game. I think having these resources available to you and choosing how you use them and how to set up plays and particularly how they uh, provide proactive plays and proactive gameplay, uh, that's what, to me, makes the game fun. When you're able to use these these abilities like heroic moves, heroic combat, things that allow you to, you know, override uh, the initiative step and, and, and the priority and, you know, use your will resources to move other models around, that is where what makes the game fun, at least at least from my perspective, and be able to set these plays up and and kind of, kind of almost go for these gotcha moments with your opponent and go... Right, I managed to, to get this heroic combat strike off and move this particular model out of the way and I spent these resources to do it and if it now if it, if I get the dice rolls to fall where I need them to be, um, I'm gonna catch you out and, and kill you later or something like that. And that that's for me what makes the game fun is is having these these 
resources that you can use to, to make these proactive and big impactful changes to the game. Mm, is it fun when people do that to you, Kylie? Um, it is, but not when those rules are oppressive, which we will kind of uh, get get into a little bit uh, later, kind of uh, some of the interactivity and stuff of the game. What about if someone hypothetically, perhaps, uh, sets up like the perfect foul beast uh, usage where like Frodo's out of position and the fell beast is able to go and and make this wonderful assassination. Is that fun? Look, Jeremy, I was I was salty. I didn't I didn't guard against it as much. Okay, just a little bit of backstory for everyone. Uh, me and Jeremy played a scenario recently where Jeremy successfully pulled off this uh, basically this dive with the uh, with the fell base swoop in and kill Frodo. And as as much as I was salty at the time, Jeremy, I enjoyed that game thoroughly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there can be there can be that 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 nice moment where it's like you've been gotcha'd, but you're still having fun doing yeah. it. And and I definitely I definitely surprised you with some of those yeah. moves. And I know that that you are you were very vocal about uh, how much you disliked the surprise. But deep down, I could see that you're like, yeah. yeah, this is what I want. This is someone's pushing me to the edge, and and that's fun. And, and the, I guess next time when you do that to me, you're going to enjoy it even more. Yeah, I think I think what made that really fun though, um, that that kind of dive with the ring wraith pushing models around and getting into this perfect position was the fact I had the ability to counterplay against it. That I had resources to set up my own play to kind of either disarm it or counteract it and stuff. That's what I found really fun about it, was I was still doing things to try and, you know, avert it, of like, oh no, my opponent set up this great move, oh, do I have anything that I can do to try and, you know, counter or block it off? All right, let's go for it, and then, you know, didn't pull it off. But I still had fun, you know, attempting to, to try and do that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, so, so we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, what games, what we think, at least, uh, makes the game really fun. What, what for you guys, uh, doesn't make the game? What takes away from the game being fun? What makes you basically go, why did I sit down for this, this one-hour game or two-hour game? Matt? Uh, I think it's those moments where, you know, we, we kind of just already said it, but, like, when you just don't have choices, when you when you have to do certain things... And when you're up against stuff that it's unable to be worked around. And there's not many things in the game like that, I feel, but it's those really one-sided, I have nothing I can do against this moments. An example would be if you don't have some kind of uh, courage buff or, or some workaround for courage, maybe some fearless model, bodyguard, whatever it is. Even a compel even compel, and, and you're just a low courage force, and you come up against terror, that can be a, a really not fun game. Especially if it, you're not particularly good at shooting as well. You, essentially what I'm saying is if you're unlucky enough to come up against a very hard counter, that's not fun. A one-sided game is, is kind of basically what you're saying. A one-sided game, that's exactly right, yeah. So, and you know, and sometimes it can actually just be because your opponent's better. And it's important to make that distinction. It's it's not just the rules all the time. Sometimes your opponent's just a lot better than you and they know how to use their models more effectively. That's not such a bad thing. Like, that can happen, right? That can happen to anyone. Um, it, it happened to you, Kylie, in a very important game for you. Hmm. You know, it. it's really important to point out that just because a game is one-sided, it's not necessarily because of the rules. Yeah. Hundred percent. So I guess I guess uh, kind of at that point, you know, 
how, how do we alleviate that being the case? Like, what can we do to, to stop a game from being one-sided? Um, just to kind of give a bit of a, a quick example, I, I know we've all, you know, been there on the table and we've, we've come across against that. We're playing Reconnoiter and you're, you're playing that dwarf army or that, that goblin army. And then you see an all-mounted Rohan army across the table and you're like, this game's over. Like, why are we here to play? kind of deal or you know contest a champion and your opponent has a balrog and your leader is denethor and you're kind of going well this game's probably probably over now um one of the things at least in our community that we've been doing to, to kind of alleviate some of these at least scenario uh di- discrepancies is we've been doing a thing where we basically uh we, we draw three scenarios out we roll three scenarios out and then we each player gets to pick one scenario they don't want to play you just remove it from the pool so what this ends up doing is the least disliked scenario ends up being the one that's played. And for, for, for like fairly often, we're getting some really fun games out of it because you, you almost get to pick your poison in a way. So if you know you're in a bad matchup against a bad um, army, you, you can go, right, this is going to be a really tough matchup, but I'm not going to play the scenario. We're not going to play the scenario that's basically going to end with them winning on, you know, turn one or two. I like that. Is that from another game system? Uh, it's it's kind of it's it was kind of like a mishmash of stuff I have seen from other game systems. Uh, I know um, Star Wars Legion does a very similar thing where you basically draft out a bunch of deployment variants and mission variants and stuff like that, and basically players get to there's this like this there's almost a mini game before the game about what game you're going to be playing with your forces and it's actually a very big part about how you play because there are some characters that will affect you know what missions are played and stuff like that so it makes it it makes it really interesting i think i think it's something that lord of the rings uh uh or middle earth should really look into adopting because i think it's a very uh fair way particularly when you're um playing you know casual uh one-off games how even potentially for tournament games of really making uh um games a lot more fun for both players involved because uh yeah because casual games i I never have that issue because we just well the people i play with and and Maybe I'm just showing my gaming group here, but the people I play with, we, we basically, we're going to all the effort to play a game. We've, we've probably traveled a fair distance. Uh, we try to make sure that, that it's set up and, and a game can be fun for everyone. So it's sort of, it might be that if someone sets up the terrain, so say you're going to someone's house, then the person coming there might choose a scenario, but they'll choose it with the idea that it gives a competitive game that you don't know an outcome for. So just say I've got my dwarves, I'm not going to choose the start in the middle, stay in the middle scenarios because that's going to be boring for both people. I'll choose one where we start, I don't know, 24 inches away and we have to both move or, or something along those lines. So hmm. I, I think that's a similar option. That's, that really does sort it out nicely in, in that tournament situation because that's where I think you generate some of the least fun games. Um, and they're not fun because you, you sort of have a real inkling of what's going to happen straight away, whether you've got the tools to, to do the scenario. And you said the classical example, Denethor's your leader, you've got contest your champions against something, uh, a one-model Sauron army or something like that, and, and what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. 100% agree uh, with, with, with all those points, Jeremy. And and kind of circling back to some of the points that uh, Maddie made earlier about uh, a skill discrepancy, one thing I've uh, done uh, a lot recently when I'm being up against... Uh, uh, more uh, of the beginner players is take a handicap, deliberate handicap. Say we're playing a 750 point game, I will play with 700 with uh, 75 points down. I'll take 10 percent less points than my opponent, and yeah, it really puts it on on you as the experienced player to really get the most out of your troops. And yeah, it sounds like a lot, but 
when there's that big of a skill gap, sometimes it can be a challenge and I almost, uh, all right, let's see how, how much, much of a handicap I can take before I can, um, you know, before my, I'm just going to get overwhelmed by my opponent. When are we going to see our first handicap tournament where Kylie is given 500 <laughs> points and I get a thousand? When's that going to happen? Maybe not that much, Maddie, but I could definitely see myself <laughs> taking 900 points to a 1,000-point tournament at some point. Ooh, very interesting. I like that a lot. <laughs> Depends on what army as well, though, because I know that some of them have an inherent uh, disadvantage. I know that I've been... Um, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast. I'll mention it one more time. Uh, we've had... Uh, I've been playing with my son a game called Blood Bowl a little bit, and I know that um, there's some links in the Lord of the Rings community because I know Jay's a head writer now, uh, but... Basically, there's there's tiers for some of the forces, and I never got this. So, uh, or some of the teams. So, there's like a tier one team, which is basically your normal competitive team, like what we'd see on the tournament scene. Then there's tier two, which are which are okay, but but not as good. And then there's tier three, which are pretty much hopeless. And I never got why they specifically designed teams to be hopeless because it's just well, why don't you just change the rules so they could be balanced like that. I know you can't get perfect balance, but these are just so far down the list. It's it's ridiculous. Like, like, like it's it's really hard to win with them. But now that I've been playing with with my son, so I'm playing with a seven year old. I I take a tier three team and I can play as hard as I like because he's taking a tier one team and I still can't beat him because it's it's that far down. It gives me that handicap and I could see that and that's similar to what you're doing, Kylie, with the points because mm. I know that 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 you maybe it's a character flaw, maybe it's not. I'm I'm similar. Like once you get into game mode, it's very hard to. To, to pull back and yeah. play badly. And and you don't yeah. really want to either because you're not teaching your opponent anything. You're not teaching yourself anything. To make bad choices is never fun. So I think that that handicap at the army list stage is a good thing to do. And I know I've personally done that in the past where I've taken army lists which would not be considered to be optimal at the time. Some of them have grown to be very optimal. So we're talking about early Rohan. We're talking about uh, ruffians, uh, wildmen, all these sort of armies where uh, at the time they're not considered to be the best choice. And then, then you can go out and play as hard as you like against even beginner players and, and you might get a win. You might not, but it, it makes the game probably a bit more enjoyable, especially if there's that skill discrepancy. Yeah, uh, 100% absolutely agree. Uh, the, 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 the last kind of point about taking away from the game being fun that I want to kind of bring up is kind of stagnant gameplay, uh, specifically uh, kind of like lots of shooting or avoidance armies or armies that kind of just... Uh, I, a good example would be the old uh, sit-down army list, which is basically a billion storm callers and, and a, a model that can restore will. And basically, you just nature's wrath every turn and put your army, opponent's army on their, on their, on their bums. Um, finding ways of, of, of alleviating kind of that stagnant gameplay because um, I've been finding that there's a lot more of these stagnant armies that really, they don't have uh, very many proactive moves uh, in a game and they don't really kind of actively try and do things. It can be at times very frustrating to play against. Uh, your thoughts? Look, I, I agree that there are definitely some out there and I, I think it comes down a lot to the mindset of the player using them. Primarily, the important thing is you want to finish your game, right? So you want to do it to the best of your ability. You don't want to take 10 years to finish. So you, you do have to play in a way that will allow you to get a game out in a certain amount of time. And that's pretty core to how we play, right? I, we, we talked about that a lot recently that, you know, sometimes it feels like certain players don't play that way. They play to a, a time limit. And it's all about getting ahead and then seeing how much time you can waste. And it's like, 
do I really want to play a game like that? I, I don't think so. That's personally, I don't want to do that. So the, the the speed at which a game is played is also pretty important to how much fun you have, and I think that's what you're trying to get out there, Kylie. Hmm. I think a little, if, yeah. if you just yeah, if there's very little progress towards the game ending each turn, then you're probably not going to have a great time with it. You're just going to go, all right, two models died this turn. All right, two models died the next turn. All right, the armies aren't any closer. Nobody's achieving any objectives. One's chasing the other and the other's running away and nothing else is happening. It's like, yeah, sometimes it does end up going down that way and it's pretty unfortunate. I think it's funny how with the last point we sort of went to scenarios and go like, yeah, scenarios are quite important for balancing that aspect of the game. And I think this is kind of the same. Um, Introducing turn limits on some of these scenarios could work really well. Um, I don't think we always want... Like, you still need armies to break um, for a certain element of game balance. Otherwise, what is the point of having that rule at all? Uh, Courage-wise and and for victory points and so on. Having said that, I think to finish games, some of these scenarios could probably introduce turn limits and it wouldn't be too detrimental to the overall impact on the rules. That, Mm. you know, again... Totally subjective on my part, on on how I think we could try and speed things up a little bit. And the other thing is, a lot of the time there are additional roles that aren't really necessary. So we've looked at things like... It's interesting because in in our area, and I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but for Faint, for example, um, we simply never use it if there is... Well, almost, I, I would say almost, but... The reality is we never use it. 99% of the time. Yeah. If you, if there is a risk that your fight value will even equal your opponent in that fight. Otherwise, we automatically do it. Right? If, if you're a two-on-one and you have higher fight, one of you guys is fainting and the other's not. And there's absolutely no choice there. But there is a rule where you're supposed to roll a d3 and your fight is lowered by that much. What is the point of that rule? We never use it. And it seems like if you're actually going to use it, you're rolling you're rolling a lot of dice that aren't actually doing anything, mm. and a handful that will potentially create additional draws in the combat. And it's it's all just so complicated, yeah. unnecessarily complicated. I think is the point that I'm getting at there. Mm. I, I don't like the faint rule, and I never have. And I don't think there's too many things like that in the game. Can you guys think of any other examples of, of roles where it's just yeah. like, why are we bothering? I've, I've got one. Uh, in the yep. ways I think can be reworked, as a, from a, like a design gameplay point of view, like the fact that we're taking, at times, if you're going for a long shot, you can be taking five or six in the way roles can be very, very uh, time-consuming to, to kind of get through that. Um, uh, in particular, uh, I think another uh, really, really kind of uh, good example is, like, when you declare weapons and stuff, like, sometimes, like, at least with us, um, uh, Maddie, we, we usually just say, best weapons. So we're not going through all yeah. these, you know, piss-fighting around with, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, okay, this guy's strength is up and down. It's like, all right, I've got you trapped and surrounded, Guys, at that point, when it's a three-on-one, it's off to the side of the board. You don't need to be going through all these extra steps in math. You can just go, right, let's just see if you win the combat. Most of the time, you're going to get the kill, and just by saying best weapons, you can go, right, okay, I'm going to strike with this guy, roll it. All right, he failed. All right, I'm going to strike with this guy, roll it. I'm going to strike with this guy, roll it. So you almost, 
doing it in steps until you get to the point where if all of it fails, then that guy has survived or something like that, as opposed to really going overly in depth with, you know, getting this bucket of dice and throw. There's, there's been quite a few times when I've seen my opponent and they've got a bucket load of dice uh, to wound and, you know, Aragorn's trapped and surrounded my troll chieftain and he has 16 friends. He's striked up with, with higher fight value. You know, Gimli's in there as well for good measure. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, I've thrown my dice and I'm like, I'm on a five. Aragorn, just throw your dice. If you get the six, go. And then it's like, right, yeah, okay, you've got the six, now go to strikes. Like, it's it's not... There's ways of speeding up the game without having to overly convolute um, uh, kind of uh, bits and pieces of, of the game that, you know, can be at times skipped over. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good example, actually. When you've got, like, a massively one-sided fight and you take this time to work out all your different coloured dice for each of you. Meanwhile, your opponent's rolled a single dice and got a two and, and you're going to win it, you know, 99.999 blah 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 percent of the time. It's like, yeah, just don't roll all those dice. Just roll a couple. If you get a two plus, just roll a wound. It's it's really not that hard, is it? No. It's, you do it's, see it's... some people try and do that. And it's like, can you? Can we just... Let's go. Let's yeah, go. And, and there's this kind of like this idea of like six I win kind of men- mentality is, as well that I, can be a bit frustrating um, at times of like, I want to get all this bucket of dice and throw up to see if I get a six to, to auto win the combat. And it's like... I'm here to roll dice as well, dude. Like, just, just, mm. just, if in that case, just, you know, throw three dice for the big hero in the fight or the two attack model in the fight and let, let, let go from there. Like, a lot of the people who are playing the game, at least in our community, you know, we're pretty switched on. We know what's going on. We're paying attention to what's happening in the game. We don't need to, to kind of slow the flow of the game down with unimportant roles. The time to really think about what you're doing are these, you know, Big critical roles where, you know, it's Aragorn uh, versus, you know, Gothmog and a friend where suddenly, you know, what weapons you're choosing and stuff is important and then rolling at the same time is important and what actions you're doing, what you're striking out, what you might doing. Those times is when it's important. Those critical roles, that's when it's important. But when you're doing, you know, two-on-two front-to-back shield wall fights, just throw the dice. Get, get the game moving. That that that's when that's the time to, to just speed things along and not get caught up on on little tiny miniature interactions. Yeah, yeah. I would almost prefer if like special strikes. My 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 main preference is they just disappear altogether. But I think if it was just heroes, I think you would lose some of that that issue because there is a lot of it where it's either no choice or. Um, it's just very, very time-consuming. Like, you get those big combats and people are like, okay, the two green dice are going to be doing this, these two red dice are going to be doing... And it just takes up so much time. And again, if you have infinite time, it's not a problem. But yeah, we speed that up by just doing best weapons because we know what's the best options at the time. We can work that out. We can say afterwards we both agree. But that that idea, I think, is a bit of a trap, uh, especially for those players that, that don't play as often as we do, where they come in and they, they see all these choices and all it is is a trap. Like, there's, there's a best choice. And then you can sort of you laugh if they get it wrong. But also, it just slows the game down as well and slows the flow down and gets you bogged down in those, those combats and can leave a sour taste in both people's mouths because the person who's making the choices is overwhelmed by choices. And the person who's, like, like we're sitting on this side going, there's an obvious choice, there's an obvious choice. It slows the game down and it's not as dynamic mm. as well. So I, I think I think... 
I don't have the problem in most of that, except for the the issue I have is the special strikes. It just added a layer on top of a layer that I don't think needed to be there. I think the idea was let's get much more choice in the combat phase because the combat phase has always been pretty automatic. Like you yeah. just go and you choose the best combats and we can do it in either order. So sometimes when like, Kylie and I are on either side of the board, I'm like, okay, Kylie, I want to start over that side. Can you just tell me best fight? And Kylie will go, okay, you've got a one model trap here. Perfect. Let's do that one first. And, and we just know the order. Yeah, but the the, the um, I, I feel like there was a bit of a misstep in that that one in in my opinion allegedly where the idea was to give more choice in the combat phase, but the result was to just give more time. Yeah, like yeah. why why couldn't why did Fenn have to be a D three? Why could it simply not be if you're higher fight value than all the other models in the combat, you get to reroll once. Simple end of yep. discussion. No piss fighting around. Same with bash. Like if you do a wounding hit to an opponent, you knock them down. Yeah, a large part, I Done. feel, of the introduction Wait. of those was actually to speed up the rate at which models die in combats, because I think yeah. people were perhaps rightfully uh, complaining that it took a very long time for armies to actually die in this game. I, I think that was probably true uh, back in the day. Unfortunately, yeah, they made it easier to kill models, but they had all this rigmarole around it that it actually slowed it down. <laughs> it's... It's, mm. it's fixing yeah. a, a problem with another problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually really cool in those... Um, those uh, when the Hobbit movie came out, Thorin's company, they all have different attacks. And I feel like it was almost designed with those guys in mind because it actually is kind of cool with them. Okay, which guy do I need here? Which guy do I need here? But that's because you've got 15 models or whatever. That is your whole army. Whereas if you're doing it on a scale with 50 models... And you get a choice of which weapons you want to be at the start in armulus construction. You can buy different weapons. It gets a, a bit tedious at times. And, and I, I think we're all in agreement that we all probably don't like the direction that's gone. And I know that some people do. And I, I don't want to... None of us have played Devil's Advocate. It says it's the best thing. I, look, I, I can understand the argument that, that more killy power is, is good. I can understand the argument that more choice is good. But I think it actually has to be real choice. And it has to be efficient choice. Mm. Not just like... Okay, keep rolling D3s. D3s are a pain because you have to do some maths on the actual dice roll as well. So that slows down things as well. So yeah, I, I have I have concerns about that. And I think we've outlined them pretty well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well for, for kind of our, our first part of, of this, we've got one kind of little topic left. And that's a big one. We've, we've talked about it a lot so far. Interactivity, play and counterplay. What What part of the game do you guys like with the interactivity what would you like to see more interactivity with uh you know what what is it um maddie i think you've got a pretty good grasp of of what i'm trying to say here why don't you lead us off all right so to start off with uh magical powers great great example of something where you're doing something and your opponent is attempting to counter it and you set it up in your move phase or what have you and you're trying to achieve something through it, and your opponent's trying to stop you. Fantastic. It, it's so simple, isn't it? It's, it sounds really simple when you put it that way. I, I think what we would like to see with spells is more of them that do different things and that interact with models in a different way. So I think there is a... Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe there's a single model in the game with Wither. Is that correct? Correct. The Angmar Orc Shaman. Yes. I would like to see that spell be a lot more widespread. I think that would be really, really cool. I would like to see models that have free will points that can do that um, because it's a way of nullifying, or not not necessarily nullifying, but reducing the impact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
uh, of a of an enemy hero or enemy model in a way that we don't really see otherwise. And also, it may not necessarily be an impact, but it's a choice that you can make to try and do that, because as we know, reducing a model's strength by one does not necessarily mean it's harder for them to wound. It depends what they're fighting, right? So stuff like that. I'd like to see some of these spells that impact the game in different ways be more widespread. Hmm. I, I think that is absolutely where I would start in terms of interactivity. Hmm. Yeah, like, speaking of, I, we've talked about a few times uh, privately mapped, but, like, stuff like shamans. Why do shamans get locked into to, to Fury and Transfix? Why, why are they locked in at three wheel? Why can't we, you know you know, have a profile where we get to choose our loadout of our shamans. All right, I want a shaman that has wither and transfix and five points of will. I, I want a shaman that can move stuff around. I want a storm caller that can, uh, that doesn't blow and move things around the table, but instead, you know, g- gives me these, uh, you know, re-roll buffs or, or increases my strength or increases my bravery, you know, you know, other other ways of, of using these models that have been at times very one-dimensional. Absolutely right. They're, they're, for some reason, and I, I guess it was understandable at the start when it was simply uh, Moria Goblin, Orc, Urukai Shaman, right? But now we've got a few other different sort of models in that arena, and they all just seem to sort of do the same thing. They put up a fury bubble. They don't do too much. Why don't we have more things like Druzag? where he does some really cool stuff, and he's genuinely a threat. He's not that much more expensive. He's, what, 85 points? Yeah. Right? He, he, he fundamentally changes how you have to play a game, and he's, he's such a great model to have on a table, both playing against and playing with, because it changes how you have to approach your opponent's army. It changes where how proactive you can be, what you can do reactively. He has a really cool... Pump, uh, um, pump mechanic uh, for, for those of you that are familiar with Magic the Gathering can give these really cool buffs it, it creates something that both players have to have to think about and we would like to really kind of see more of it um, like kind of uh, going a bit more further with um, things like uh, uh, the, the basic captain profile and kings why can't we uh, you know purchase extra uh, heroic actions for them why are they locked in at only having March or stuff? Why can we not pay, say, 10 points to give a King of Man strike? Because, again, that would change the way we play design army list. It would change how we interact with those models and change how those models interact with the game. Yeah, totally. I, I think the only risk you run at that point where, you, where you're paying for rules is, one, you don't necessarily know what you're up against when you come up against that model, if that makes sense. It, it's sort of you've fought against this model before, but now it's a little bit different. And, and you sort of... It, it can, I think it could be tricky for new players to get their heads around that mm. sort of thing. Um, and it may be a layer of complication that's not necessarily required. I, I think I, I think it's more important... And, and I can understand your viewpoint on this because I know that you love your... I, I'm going to add this little thing to my list and, oh, it's going to have such a huge impact, but nobody's going to realise it's going to be great. That, and I totally get that. And that's that's really cool. Like, that's a cool thing to do. But sometimes I feel like, mm, maybe not so much. Maybe, maybe it's not really something that's 100% what the game needs. I do think that a lot of these models that are locked into a specific role where they just don't really do that much. And the example I gave was Shamans. They pop up their terror bu- oh, sorry, their Fury Bubble. They have used their two will. If they use their last one, they're out, and they become largely useless. 
uh, or, uh, and they have the option to throw out transfixes, but you're only ever going to do that in an absolute win-or-lose scenario because you need that fury. Then you have something like Cardouche, and you sort of go, there's this model, and it's, it's not that much more expensive, and it's so much fun to use. And it's not that bad to face. Like, you come up against it, and you're like, all right, this guy can do these things. I can work around this. I can fight against this model. It's like, I sometimes feel like they sort of overbalance some elements of the game and underbalance others. I don't know if that even makes sense. But, like, the the way that Kardush can be used, the fun that you can use with him, he's fun to come up against. But then you sort of have a shaman, and it's like, you stick him in your army... He does the same thing every time. He, he might drop a might point and go for your your uh, fury save along with the courage, and he uses his two will and he gets his fury up, and then he just does that for the rest of the game. It's like it's so dull. <laughs> a lot of that comes down to, in my opinion, the uh, like the name characters are always way more interesting. Mm. So if you've got a name, mm. Kardush is a name shaman, therefore he's way more interesting. Like, and you get the same with the captain level characters. If they've got a name, they're just more interesting. They get all these special rules. They get extra profile stats. They get everything else. And I think uh, we probably have a bias in that we would be more than happy to have the unnamed characters more interesting. And I think that's not where they're going at the, with the current design philosophy. It feels like uh, unnamed characters are either not really a choice or you take one of them just as your token representation or, or as your, your march caddy, essentially. And I've that's one of the, the sort of design philosophies recently that I probably dislike the most where I think a lot of these unnamed characters, which you give them a name, you give them their own story. I think that's where a lot of the interest can lie, where you have on your battlefield, you've got two recognizable characters. So you've got, it's a mission where, I don't know, Gil Galad and a, a bunch of, of Alban friends who you don't know who they are, are going and taking on uh, one name. So so maybe a, a Ringwraith that's named whatever he is, the uh uh, the betrayer, and then a whole bunch of generic or captains, and that can be really interesting, and 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 that that uh, that battle. But I think in terms of gameplay, it's not as interesting because they end up doing just the same thing, and and there's really not a lot of uh, interest in those compared to the named characters. Yeah, I I totally get that. Like I can understand where they might be coming from with that, but I I don't feel like there's any reason not to give some character to these. Hmm unnamed heroes to yeah as you say give them their names you know you can name them yourself i think i used to have an uruk captain that i named i can't remember what i called him but back in the day i ran an uruk captain and he was not boring at all he was great he ran in and he did cool things but that's a require for you i think it's it's these models that i just feel like there's so little choice and so little interactivity and all these things we've been talking about i think shamans are a prime example of it but i'm sure there are others that i can think of too mm. uh, I, like yeah. kind of uh just going a little bit uh further further on that um in terms of like uh counterplay for your opponent one of the things that kind of can get really frustrating is um uncounterable effects i, I think a really uh um good uh good uh example uh at, at times in terms of like you know your opponent does a thing there's nothing you can do to stop it is is kind of that 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 shade effect and how oppressive it can feel um in terms of like making the game fun like when we have counteracting uh your opponent's plays we want it to be in such a way where you get to spend resources and you know really really go in and try and you know disarm it or 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 have have a go at it you know 
we don't want things to be automatic or if it is automatic make it so it's like a one use only um i really enjoyed uh kind of the the old black arrow bard used to have because it had this it had this thing of like your opponent knows that once per game they can bar can just go bang you take a wound that was a really kind of cool effect but when you take it to an extreme like for instance say all of these arrows had had this black arrow effect or or, or, or whatever then it gets to this oppressive kind of feeling and and that's what kind of we want to avoid with with some of these you know the interactive rules because rules that are interactive are exactly that that they're, they're interactive or very limited in how they're being used when they're constant and o- overbearing constantly being thrown out there that's when the some of the problems um have have problems when there is no counterplay or no obvious counterplay to the game uh, siege engines another example that's an interesting one. I think my concern is a lot of that stuff is tied into the, the now the legendary legion. So if you mm. make an army list in a certain way, you get a certain effect that is usually some sort of global effect or bubble effect or something that, that you can't stop without a huge amount of difficulty if you can stop it at all. And I think that's that's got two problems. I think one, it, it makes the, the actual gameplay a little bit less interesting because you know that that effect is going to be up and running all the time. And two, my issue with that is that it forces you into a lot less variety in armies. So you're getting these, these not cookie-cutter lists, but you're getting these, these sort of similar lists that are showing up all the time. Because if you, say, want to play... Uh, I'll use Rohan as an example, which is probably not entirely fair because there are lots of ways to play Rohan now. But for a while, you had Rohan. If you wanted to play Rohan competitively, it was Theodrin's uh, Riders at Legendary Legion because it was just made everyone better. It was just fantastic and that that sort of idea that you only played in a certain way uh concerns me a little bit because i've always been some of the interest i get and some of the the joy i get from the game is coming up with a little theme that that hasn't been explored it hasn't been looked at something obscure from the appendices or from a, a background of the movies or or my own sort of filling in at the logic there and i still want it to be competitive i still want it to be fun to play against and with and and have all the the benefits everyone else gets but it's not a list that someone else has made for me. It's a list that I've made. And that's uh, uh, probably probably my concern in that one. I, I don't don't hate what's going on with it. but And, and I know that, that we've really never had the problem in our local scene that uh, people don't take themed lists. I think everyone locally here, I think all the, 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 the real key driving players have always taken themed lists. And they've taken very strong themed lists. But they've always taken themed lists, so we haven't had that issue where people are showing up with absolute rubbish that isn't themed, that's not really Tolkien, just to, to go and win the game, and then the people who want that emerge, immersion aren't getting it. We haven't had that issue, but uh, I guess I can see where that's coming from. But I just it's something that I feel like it's just a bit missing a lot mm. along those lines. Yeah, this, it, as I said, the interactivity is probably going to come up a lot more kind of as we... We, we, we talk more about um, kind of this, uh, the core rules and, 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 you know, looking under the hood and, and this analysis. So we will kind of, again, touch back on the, the interact uh, interactivity of, you know, models, you know, you know how heroic actions and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the, that flow of the game of, you know, I do X, therefore you do Y. So in response, I'm going to do Z. And, you know, using these resources and stuff in really fun, funky ways. But for now, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be... Uh, back for part two.
Welcome back everyone. We're here for part two of our critical analysis of Middle-earth SBG. So we're going to go a bit more uh, in-depth now, although we've gone pretty in-depth so far, but we're now we're really getting into kind of the core uh, core rules, the core kind of uh, gameplay and mechanics uh, surrounding parts of the game. So you know, like terrain, magic, uh, even some things a bit more abstract, like, uh, you know, just even base sizes and, you know, how, how cavalry and stuff works. Matt, why don't you give us a kind of a, a brief idea of what we mean by core rules? Yeah, so I think when we talk about core rules, we're talking about the, the absolute basics of the game. We're talking about um, how movement occurs, like the order in which things happen, uh, the turn-based system... The stat lines, I think, I would consider part of the core rules because every single model has a stat line. So just stuff that everyone needs to be aware of in terms of how the game functions. And obviously, we're not talking about absolute special rules. We're not talking about high-level tactics. We're talking about these real fundamentals and how they uh, establish a baseline in the game, right? So I think that's what we're going to be going over here. Have I, have I got that right, Kylie? Is that what we're looking at? That is what I would understand as core rules. Basically rules that, you know, every model in the game uh, has to adhere to and uh, has to uh, play through, basically. Or has access to. Does that make sense? Jeremy, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think it's uh, you want the actual game mechanics that you're talking about. So things like movement and, and shooting and, mm. and combat would be, be core mechanics. Uh, profiles, I guess, would because that's interacting, but... I guess it's it's how you're going, how deep you're going there. So so you're the one running this, Kyle. You choose. <laughs> well, that's how I'm going to choose to, to kind of uh, define it. So we'll get stuck right in and basically uh, talk about some of the kind of the universal tools that pretty much all armies have in some way, shape, or form kind of access to. So we're talking about kind of uh, things like uh, uh, heroic strike, uh, how movement works, uh, base dynamics so kind of the surface area of a base you know how being on a big base being on like a 60 mil or being on a small base like a 25 mil how that changes and affects uh game so what are your guys thoughts on some of these kind of you know universal kind of base base baseline stuff and and what what do you like about it and what don't you like about it firstly i just want to object to your uh use of surface area on the bases as well i think uh I've let that go a few times, and the, the mathematician in me is sort of cringing every time we do that. I think you're more looking at the, the circumference of the base or the, uh, the area it takes up, but surface area, not quite so much. That's more, that's more three dimensions, and, and they, we don't do all the surfaces. They're, they're not all so specific. So in the terms of the game, though, Kyle, to answer your question in a way that I think I can answer it, one of the, the things that grabs me about the game is the, the priority phase. The fact that you don't know at the start of each turn who's getting to act first and who's got the initiative. So that that role, I think, is one of the things that sets the game apart from a lot of games. I know it's become very common in other games at the moment now, but the fact that at the start of every turn, you have to plan for two things. You have to plan for going first and going second, and that can change at any point. So you want, ideally, an advantage both ways. So the priority phase, I think, is, is huge for how the game works, and that interactive turn sequence so you've got the the priority phase interactive movement so i move you move then i shoot you shoot then we all do combat together with the person with the priority choosing i think creates a, a real dynamic game and it's a good basis for it it does uh, cover a lot of tactical situations and it means you have to think quite a bit just on that simple rules mechanic yeah i 100 percent agree with that 
that that that ebb and flow, that that push and pull that you get from the priority phase means you you're gonna have to kind of think, you know, what is gonna be happening next turn as you move out and plan through your current turn because you're not sure if you know you are going to take the initiative and be able to get that charge off next turn or if you're in more of a reactive position where you you have to you know play around your opponent's movement first and there's some interesting things uh, that can can kind of spread out and happen because of that dynamic and I think I think when the game was kind of first uh, introduced you know 15 years ago I I think it was a very uh, unique mechanic that not a lot of other game systems had at the time uh, taken on and I think it's really cool that other games are now you know linking into this idea of priority and and initiative yeah when I first uh, started playing I it it was the first miniatures game I played and I had absolutely no idea that there were other systems that did it differently it just made so much sense to me Uh, and I think it is a really good way of creating a turn-based system where there is that level of uncertainty. And again, that, that makes you just plan your game differently. You can't always plan for, I'm just going to move first every turn and completely dominate my opponent. You've always got to have backup plans. Priority, fantastic. Something I wanted to go into was, okay, into the next phase, uh, movement. Uh, we won't go too much into the might and will and fate just yet, but um, the absolute basics of movement and the way that control zones work, control zones seem really counterintuitive at times and a lot of people when they're starting out find it sort of like oh, how does this work i don't really get it. it it actually is like so simple but it can still you can create ways to change the game um that a lot of people don't really pick up on when they first pick up the game at first i don't think i actually liked control zones and the more that i've played and the more years that i've played the game for I've just gotten so used to it. It it just, it makes sense. Like, you can't go here if there is a model right next to it and you're not charging a model. It it just makes perfect sense. And it creates, again, that layer of movement where it's like, "Mm, can I do this? Can I do that? It's, it's, I think it's a level of movement that a miniatures game kind of needs. And and I think it's really important to the game. But what do you guys think about control zones? Yeah, I think control zones are an absolute art form. It is, it is a really, it can be a bit fiddly at times, especially with how some of the the rule, the rule, the wording on the rule is kind of laid out and stepped. But I think part of the advantage that you know players like myself and Jeremy have is that you know we've come through fifteen years of playing with this very you know quirky and very specific uh, set of rules in control zones. So it kind of is ingrained into us. Um, I do agree that it's not very beginner-friendly at times, but overall, I think it has a very interesting impact to the game, simply because of how it can allow you to block off areas um, and, and force engages, because your opponent, you know, they can't just run past you if, if you've got a couple of guys standing there ready to intercept them. Yeah, I think one of the most important things about the, the control zones and also the, the back away mechanic is that you get the, the look of battle lines. So when you get your two battle lines clashes, whether it's a skirmish or whether it's a shield wall pushing, that sort of ebb and flow does sort of mimic that, that really micro-scale battle. And I think it's really quite interesting to watch sometimes how basically you get this, for the first few turns, you get this stalemate where things are just pushing backwards and forwards. Maybe a couple guys are falling down, but you can easily fill those ranks. But then as 
as the turns go on, it starts to break up, and it does reflect all these battle line concepts. And what it means is you could pretty much use any like realistic tactics when you when you're playing the game. And I think that's really one of the the brilliant things about it. I think so many other games uh, basically use a, a very like far away view where you've just got two units and you push them together whereas because we've got every model doing something and it's it's blocking its own area it interacts with the terrain around it it interacts with the models around it it means that you get a real good look at at how the battlefield flows and and a good player can take advantage of that you can try any tactics you want you can go look up historic tactics you can do whatever and i think that's that's got some uh, real positives into it and it's it's really subtle as well it doesn't look like it does they don't have to force things like flank charges you don't have to have special rules for it because it happens in the game already. Hmm. Especially with the use of circles. I don't think that's kind of understated enough just how well circles are as, as models being on a base really work with um, kind of the design of the rules and how flanking manifests itself and, you know, how, you know, sweeping around and getting in behind your opponent manifests itself within the game. Because like you said, Jeremy, it, it, it happens it, subtly. There's no big sudden impact and those big bonuses it happens because your opponent literally will physically lose mobility of their models and will physically not be able to back away and and end up causing traps within their own forces and it's it's really elegant the way that the game um does it on the same token uh the way that the game uses choke points and enables you to sort of block up the opponent and ensure that some of their models can't get in so that you're only fighting so many models at a time, which which makes sense. Like, you, it's very hard to overrun, you know, in terms of real-life combat, people who are fighting in a very enclosed space, right? It's hard to push just straight through them. So, because though it, it just prevents superior numbers from getting their advantage. Um, and I really like the way that the game mimics that through terrain and through the way that combat works. I'm going to steal that little bit of a segue that you've kind of uh, touched on there, Maddie, about terrain, because that kind of leads into the next big thing about the core rules that we're kind of going to kind of get into a little bit. And that's that is terrain, like just how much impact terrain has on on the game. And I, I can't say it enough, just how how much of an impact terrain has in the game and I think it's one of probably the best design aspects of our rules is just how terrain moves, how models interact with terrain and, and just how influential it is on a game. What, what are your guys' thoughts with, with terrain? I think it's really, uh, once again, it's very intuitive once you, you get the basic game mechanics down. Like if something's... You can't put your base through it. You can't put your base through it. And and that simplicity is really, really handy because you get all these little uh, accidental traps. You get all these little bottlenecks. You get uh, battle, parts of your battle line slowing down. If you want to maintain a, a perfect shield wall, which a lot of players do, especially new players, terrain's going to cause you problems because you have to slow down to go around it. People can't move all at the same speed. And then you've got sort of skirmish-type armies that have some movement bonuses to be able to, to ignore terrain types. So things like... Uh, the woodland creature or the the rule that the dwarf rangers and things have where they can jump over rocks that stuff is is really handy and there's also some other things in terrain which we don't necessarily look at things like um all the tests for for swimming or for climbing or for jumping they're all quite intuitive and follow a similar rules rule system but work really well and what it means is you don't have to modify the game for sieges a lot of game systems, you have to have totally different rules for sieges because they just don't work. So for this one, what I really like is that you can 
like replicate that type of battle using just pretty much the basic mechanics of the game with very little addition to it, just basically using ladders and, and siege weapons. So I, I I think it's fantastic. I think it's it's I keep saying all these things of the strength of the system in this little segment here you've got going, Kylie, but I feel like the way that, that the movement and terrain and priority all put together works just really makes the game fantastic. It's it's one that, that I've been been playing the game on and off, well not on and off for on for you say 15 years it's probably closer to 20 by now and i i still discover new things when i play i still discover new interactions and and ways you can can use your terrain to your advantage use the movement to your advantage so i think it's just done so fantastically well and i don't know that it was intentionally done this well i think it was probably a bit of luck in terms of the design philosophy i, I would love to to talk to rick Priestley at some point and find out mm. exactly what he thought about that but I think some of it is just almost a happy coincidence. It's just turned out really, really well. Yeah, it's 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 it is it is a marvel of of just really beautiful uh, kind of game writing and stuff. And I absolutely love the the, the terrain rules within Lord of the Rings and just the particularly the 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 um, the, the critical fail and the, the critical success that you get with like the jump charts with the one meaning you basically stop and fall flat on your face the six meaning you know you jump over and you keep going but most of the time it's just going to be a over and stop kind of deal but there's always this little little bit of niggling in the back of your mind of something could go really right or really wrong here that I wasn't quite expecting. And I think that flow around the game of about one-third of your roles doing something interesting is really, really cool and can change the dynamics of a game because your, your opponent might be thinking, I've got a wall here, I'm safe from a flank, and then suddenly a warrior jumps over, rolls that six and gets in beside you. Or you might be trying to execute this really cool strategy to get a critical model out of harm's way by jumping over a fence, and then suddenly you face plant when you're trying to jump the wall. And I think it's a really, really cool way that the game uses, in, in essence, the dice mechanics to its advantage. Yeah, 100%. It's so incredibly simple. Like, And yeah, as you say, it's all like, one's a fail, six is great, and two to five, good, we did it. You know, it, it's all you really need to know. Um, and the fact that they didn't, you know, go ahead and try and make too many different terrain like functions like they didn't try and go like all right so sand you can move at like one third speed or anything crazy like that no it's it's rough terrain there's rough terrain there's impassable and there's uh your water features and then aside from that it's all about jumping and climbing right and that's all you need to know it there's it's really one of the most simple systems and it just works so well and it really encourages you to fill your battlefield with terrain. And that's what I, I love about this game, because you can get really immersive battlefields where you've got so much terrain interaction. And it's one of those games where the more terrain, the better the game, almost. Like, as long as you can reach in it and, and get the models yeah. going, there, there's there's so much fun to be had by having lots and lots of terrain. So it sometimes makes me sad to see these people playing with, like, one building or a little fence or whatever it was, a uh, a, a ruin and a couple woods on on a board with lots and lots of space because you miss so much of that interaction and so much of the challenge and I know that I've heard people refer to terrain as a third player but it's 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 more it's, it creates a more of a challenge to the game and and gives you more opportunities for for tactical choices and choices in general and I think that that makes the game really interesting mm-hmm. it means that you can play the same armies on the same sort of area, but if you mix a terrain up, you get a different game every time, which is 
Mm. Once again, a fantastic thing. And I, I can't speak highly enough about the terrain. There's not a lot I want to change. I guess the in the ways is, is the only thing that I, I yeah. sort of almost ignore that three plus, four plus, five plus in the way. I had no problems with it just being a four plus in the way, just with no, no thinking whatsoever. I get it for siege castles, but we almost like play that. You only ever get that. That I think it's a five plus when you're actually like at Helm's Deep, like a proper fortification, and that three plus it's basically like a a part of a leafs in the way or something like that, that that yeah. or a clothesline or something like that 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 wouldn't do much because I feel like that was an extra bit of granularity that it didn't necessarily need. I thought the the terrain uh, worked pretty well without that. I, I get why they put it in, but it's one that that uh, I can I could take or leave that sp- a specific part of it uh, in the latest editions. Yeah, I'd say 90% of the time, no, more than that, 99% of the time, you just go for the 4+. plus. It's just like, it's it's not worth arguing about, you know what I mean? Unless it's like really obviously a fortification or, or something along those lines. And yeah, I, I don't think it was really necessary. I think if they really were to change something around sort of a, ability to hit a target or, you know, how accurate someone's going to be with a bow at certain ranges i think i i think that's the thing that gets me sometimes it's like well he's right there you know he's standing literally uh, 10 meters away let's say or 10 centimeters in game why can't i hit him <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, that's such yeah. an abstraction though isn't it like yeah i think the people who count paces don't particularly like the game because it's it's very strange that specifically yeah. the range of weapons like you're you're basically a sprint away in most weapons ranges which is uh and I know that people who who uh, were against the removal of volley fire have argued this quite a bit. Where you basically the the bow ranges are actually quite short in terms of yes. like realistic yeah. distances. So you get this real abstraction, and I, I think you just have to live with that. It is an abstraction, and I think it's it ends up being one of the strengths of the system. But because uh, what you don't want, and and one of the, the one of the potential problems is were those games where one side has all the bow fire in the world and a scenario where they don't have to move and the other side doesn't and is maybe susceptible to bow fire and that gets a probably a game that's not as interesting as as you as you'd like so yeah. i um i can see why they kept the ranges that low i i think for simple simplification originally you didn't have the penalty for moving i think that's that's a new one which i don't have a problem with it's nice and simple and the the maths isn't too hard yeah. but i um I, I'd be worried about changing it a whole lot. I guess, I guess everyone's scared of change, and they, me included, very scared of it. But I think that that's one thing I want to keep keep the same, and and I understand the weaknesses of it, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the weaknesses. What about you, Kylie? Um, I, I've always had a weird, uh, particularly with um with with shooting. I've always had a really weird relationship with it because. There have been quite a number of times where, you know, I've been sitting on the table and I'm like, why am I rolling five or six in the way rolls here for all of these little different things? Like, why can I not just, like, stoop down over the table, check the one wide view and just see how much of my target I can see and then make one in the way roll? I don't mind the in the way roll. It's just, it's the multiple in the way rolls that kind of make me go, is, is this what we want in the game? I think... It would might the game might flow a bit better if there was just one in the way roll and it's like right if if you can see over half the model it's this much there oh no 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 don't do percentages of the model no it, I was, that's it's, the worst it's, 
More than half, less than half. Pretty simple to deal with. I wouldn't do that. No, no, it's not simple, though. It's it's having played games where they actually go by things like that. Um, I remember some of the historic games I played with, with tanks where you had to calculate like what fraction of the tank was in cover and out of cover. Every role was an argument. Every single one, no matter yeah, what. Like, cause, I, I, um, I, I have to agree with that. But I, I think a way that you could do it is just say, like, okay, so there's one model in the way, right? So let's say you get past it on a uh, 2+, plus, right? And then for every additional one, it's one worse. I, that is how, personally, I would run it. And then if you got 7 in the way, it's not. You just can't hit it. There's too much in the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I've got no that. problem with that. I've, 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 I had anything that that involves arguing over, and and look, I don't agree that that line of sight is something you argue over. I think that's actually really straightforward. You can look at it, you can see, yeah, it's it's covered or it's not covered, mm-hmm. and someone can can go and get a judge to to rule. They really get an have impartial to. observer. Yeah, yeah, but but getting gamers to work out percentages, oh, it's so bad. Have you ever asked someone to work out twenty five percent of the table's terrain? They can't do it. They can't yeah. work out the the area that actually takes up to do that, they put on like 5% and say that's 25%. People can't estimate range, like like percentages. So oh, I, I, I'm very, very scared of a system that, that goes into that. Any any mathematics that isn't plus or minus, I'm not keen on. Yeah, I have to agree. All right. Well, moving on to, to kind of a bit of a, bit of a kind of a look at what we really, really like in, in terms of design. So we'll kind of look at train a bit. Let's, let's get a bit more into kind of, you know, other things like uh, you know magic, uh, the cavalry rules, you know, combat, well, what, whatever you like. Well, what do you really like in terms of like special rules, uh, specific interactions and stuff? What what do you think is worked well and you works well and probably doesn't need to be improved anymore because of you know it how well it's designed. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like okay, so where do we start? Um, <laughs> I think movement in general, perfectly fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with movement and terrain. Uh, I think the absolute basics of the combat system in that there is a dual role and then a to wound role for the winner, I think perfectly fine. Would never change that. that that's core to the game. Um, what else? Uh, Kylie, why don't you... Oh, sorry. Go on, go on, Matt. Go on, Matt. Well, yeah, okay. Well, no, let's say let's see what Kylie thinks. Like, is there anything in particular that you would say is your you know favorite core mechanic or something that you think is totally key to how the game operates i absolutely love the way combat works in terms Mm -hmm. of uh one how your your uh, dice rolls work how might works and how re-rolls work i have a little bit of a gripe with um uh re-rolls and might which goes first like can you use can you re-roll after someone's mitered and stuff like that? I think I've always had the principle it's always re-rolls before modifiers and the rules kind of into that, but they don't explicitly say. Um, but I just love how simplistic the you roll a dice for each attack and then you then both players can kind of come in afterwards and start messing with the result. I think that's that's really, really, uh, really, really cool way of writing the rules, particularly when you start adding things like the parry special rule, uh, banners... I think it really mixes up the uh, the way in which you're choosing to use your resources and special rules to affect this this one combat role. And I think the decision tree that comes with it is is really really uh, interesting and gives players options about how they want to to you know proceed with the combat as the combat is unfolding. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I love the the banner effect, and I love that 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 proximity. I, I I'm normally a little bit against that that bubble type effect that you get with things like the banners, but I think with banners it works perfectly. But that said, I I really don't like you know those um like banners effects that are so big that you can't avoid them. Uh, the ones I can think of offhand are things like uh, Prince Imrahil's one, where it's I knew you were gonna get that. It might as well, it might as well just say like battlefield wide. Like I. I feel like that's that's pushing it a little bit. I know I'm going a bit specific there, but I agree with you in terms of, of combats. I have some like some of the the monsters combats. I think there's been a huge amount of change to those. Some of it I think is for the better. Some of it is is probably not. I think um, like I I wouldn't be against getting rid of most of the, the the power attacks. I think some of them some of them you never see. Some of the specialized ones. Others, I think, I think they've they've made her a little bit better in the latest edition, but still, it's I, I don't like that bowling over mechanic. I don't like the the um that weird sort of because I feel like some of the game the best thing about it is that that interaction between bases. Yeah. So when you can like pick up a model and then bowl it through, and this is where I always have arguments with people like about the width of a base and whether or not it hits something. So you have all kinds of issues. I need to get a tool that um, made up or whatever that's just basically a strip the width of a base so we can we can turn it and, and I can say which direction it is and we can work it out from the center of the, the troll or whatever it is. But I feel like that mechanic, that sort of that global knockdown stuff where you can knock down models that aren't actually directly in combat, um, I have a bit of a problem with that sometimes. It sometimes breaks some of the, the key mechanics a, a bit, a little bit in my opinion. So I, I, I agree with you mostly. I love combat. I don't like the things that, that cause things in different areas to, to have problems. So things like that, that hurling a model and as, as a way of doing things um, where you basically get a bowling ball type knockdown and the other effects that do that as well, those, that nature's rats and things like that, I think are, uh, are not my favorite in the way that they work, but I, uh, they're not terrible either. Like I can live with them. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how... The bowling and the the, the over pushing and 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 stuff can can be really off putting. It's strange too because like they 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 change the way uh, sorceress blast works and that it stops on the first model hit, but they didn't change hurl. It can still crash through models, which is I don't know if that was deliberate or not something, but it feels like hurl should have gone under the same treatment as sorceress blast, where it you know it flings, it stops when it hits a guy, and then they both everything that is hit or has someone hit into them, just just knock down. Yeah, I, I don't know, because I, I think what they really were going for is to make sure that monsters had a real presence on the battlefield, and, you know, obviously for a long time, when Hurl was completely busted when they first brought it out, yeah, they definitely had a presence. Uh, now you, they can still... Well, the, the way that they've changed it, you can only throw in a straight line, they reduce the distance it can be thrown... I can see where Jeremy's coming from in that you don't really want other combats to be affected because it just kind of messes everything up. It makes it messy. But um, I think the, the the important thing there is that monsters are capable of doing big things like that and you have to play around that. Yes. So I, I don't mind so much that they can do that. But I actually prefer things like the barge, though. Like, So mm. I, I'm, not, I'm not against the, the hurl currently. I actually I think that okay. if they can have a hurl, that's the best way of doing it. Um, but, uh, like... More than happy with uh, the the barge. Like I think barge is really cool. That idea of uh, the the big pushback. I think it works exactly in the mechanics. And and I do like even that the the spear support guys go backwards. And I like that you have to prioritize getting them in a, a safe way rather than uh, knocking them all over. So I I really like that one. 
Uh, the rend is it true now still with rend you can uh, you don't have to allocate all your attacks on one model. It's you can rend a model and then attack others. Is that how it is, or am I? Or, I think it's uh, a single model. I, I think it's a single model. Yeah, I, I thought it was... You rend a single model, but can you then, like, spill over attacks onto another model I don't think well? so. You give up your strikes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine, then. If it's, yeah. if it's only literally, yeah. like, I'm rending, therefore I can only hurt one model, yeah. that, that's fine with me as well. I think there's... Maybe there were some arguments about that early on, so I don't have a problem with that one. But I think that was probably a better addition to combat than, say, the special strikes we talked about in the last segment. Because they, it does give you more choices in combat, but it's more interesting choices. That I think, especially the barge, is a really interesting choice. The idea that you can't just put a, a, a rubbish warrior in front of a troll and then have your powerful hero next to him safe. I think that's really cool. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think look overall, it probably it probably adds to the game. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I was happy with the old system as well. Yeah, I get that monsters weren't as as good in the old system; they're pretty easy to pin down. So, yeah, yeah, somewhere in between, maybe. Mm. Uh, just, just for your clarification, too, Jeremy, uh, rend is you nominate one enemy model involved in the fight. All the monsters' uh, attacks must be directed at the nominated model. So, oh, perfect. No, that's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Yep. It's it's actually yep. no. Keep rend. Yeah. Happy rend. Uh, like now that you think about it, too, kind of this is again getting a bit wishlessy. Is Wish listy uh, is um, it's interesting that you you know you have Ren that can attack uh, when you make strikes you can pair strength and you know Blaze of the Dead does the same thing with uh, courage. Uh, it'd be interesting if they introduced a special where uh, models could uh, strike at another opponent's fight value instead of striking at their defense and maybe you know go across different statistics and and have different ways of uh, attacking models that your opponent has to think about. I think could be uh, really cool. Yeah, I'm just I, I worry a little bit about that in that you get some really weird interactions with those and especially to do with um like matchups and points costings and things. So I think the Army of the Dead, because they're they're priced quite high, you can um you you get around the the issues with it. But I think if you had people that are attacking all different stats, I worry that there might be some, some flow on effects where the only guys that are are worth taking are things like the the Wood Elves or somewhere like that where you basically you get a huge discount for low defense and then every other stat is really high so it's going to be immune to all this well not immune but but it's going to be more resistant to all this sort of silliness so I, I, I like the idea I'd be interested to see how they, they get it going because it, it does worry me a little bit um, that said I do like Blades of the Dead that rule I think it's really cool I, what I really like it on is the, the actual Spectres I think that's the coolest thing that they do the, um, the spell they've got I think it's probably a bit too much in some ways, but I love the idea of those guys attacking courage uh, and army of the dead as well. Army of the dead, that's solid. So, so maybe you're onto something, Kylie. The other thing I would like to really get into, I think, is one thing we haven't really touched on is how magic works in the game, particularly with uh, how you spend your will points to cast, uh, you know, magical powers like transfix that instant cast stuff, sorceress blast, you know, those kind of things where you know you create a total. You then go to your opponent. Your opponent then gets to spend their will points to resist. And I think that way of how um, magic interacts down the line, I think, is a really, really, really cool mechanic because you you almost set this target number for your opponent in in terms of you know, all right, this is the number you need to go go for. It's now on you to decide how much of your resources you want to you know divert and you know 
put into stopping this uh, ability that I am using. And I think that it's a really cool mechanic. And I think it, it's almost to the core of Lord of the Rings, particularly with the spellcasters like the wizards and the ringwraiths. Yeah, I think it's really, really smart that they actually uh, made a couple of changes in the most recent rules to that, in that it is now a core mechanic that when you use a will point to resist, if you get a natural six, you retain the will point. I think that's a really good rule. I also think that um, the fact they made sap will harder to cast on basically everybody is also a really good idea, because it's just kind of, why wouldn't you cast that first sort of thing, you know, just make it easier for yourself. Um, So yeah, I I think they made a couple of really good changes to magic and how it works in, in that regard. Um, and the interactivity in it, which is something that we've talked about heaps, is just top-notch. It's like, it's really fun playing with, and even against magic now, knowing that you have, it's pretty even footing, I think, across the board. Because mm, there's a choice now when you resist. It's like, okay, uh, a transfix is coming at Aragorn. My opponent has, say, rolled, rolled a five. Now, now it's in your court of like, okay, do I just throw the one dice here? Knowing that I have a free point in my back pocket, so a four plus is probably a good is going to be a good resist. Or do I throw all my dice, try and chase down that six, so that I have a will point again for later? So there's kind of this bit of risk versus reward uh, kind of decision making that goes on, and the fact that, that will interacts with um, might so cleanly. Uh, again, is, is is just a really well-designed part of the rules. And I'd like to see them do more with, you know, using will to cast magic, resisting powers, and using will to, um, you know, use abilities and stuff. A, a bit like kind of how the... Um, uh, how some of the characters like uh, Oin uses his will to, you know, get these special effects. I think it's it's a really, really cool... Mm, going, going on that, though, like... Like, would it be then, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily be against that happening to the other people as well, where you get a natural six to cast a spell and you get the will back. I think that that could be interesting as well. Because I do think it's slightly more in the favor of the the non-spellcasters now. And, and mm. that's something you work around. And if you take spellcasters, you have to you have to come up with a plan for that. But I think that that's, that's one thing that, that potentially there. But one thing I do have a problem, though, is that there's things that act like magic and that they're not resistible. So uh, things like, um, I've mentioned it before many, many, many times, I'm sure, but things like that that Spectre's Fell Light thing, uh, I feel like that's mm. almost like a it's, it's a magic power, essentially, but not quite a magic power, that ends up being more powerful and it's not resistible. And I think that, that I would love something to do with that. I would have no problem with if it was like a two-plus to cast, get a free will a turn type thing. I think that would be cool but it'll also mean that you've got an ability to resist it, and that will create some more interactions with those type of, of characters as well. So I wouldn't... I would actually prefer those acted like a spell as well. I know we talked about shamans and all that sort of stuff earlier on as well. Uh, there are also those those spells that you've basically got to spend resources, spend a point of might to, to have up for the whole game until you run out of will. I think it would be... I actually like some of those where if you lost combats, you lost your your spell. I think that was a cool way of stopping them as well. I wouldn't mind if that came back as well. Those those exhaustion type spells where you'd actually lose the spell, you lose your, your focus or whatever it is if you lost a combat and have to try and cast it again. So there's a few things that I think I, I like I don't maybe it's perfect, maybe it's not. I there's a few things that I wouldn't mind seeing modified slightly, but once again I have I have no problem with the current system at the moment. I just uh, I think some of the non spellcasters are the best spellcasters in the game, which is which is odd. 
Mm, interesting, interesting uh, comments there, Jeremy. I think uh, as well. I think part of the reason why we don't get uh, Will back off a six from the caster is because a lot of uh, the big end casters either have an ab- absurd store of Will, like the Ring Wraith, you know, you know, rocking up there with you know fifteen, even up to twenty Will points, or being you know a wizard or, or a Galadriel with with a free point a turn. So. You know, getting Will back off their free point or, or even their store points uh, almost feels a little bit cheaty uh, simply because of the amount of uh, resources you would get uh, for free, I think, would become a little bit overbearing. If the You've un- already got cheating with or, things like, um, like the Necromancer. If the Undying was getting a free Will point back every time he rolled a six to cast, I would be very upset. <laughs> Mm. But it's... yeah, but you could say, you could say that for the resist as well. Like some of them, some of them, like you've got ones that are, have high will and resistant to magic as well that are getting lots and lots of will back. So you know, I get it. It will, it will change the balance quite a bit. But I, I guess some of my issue is with with the um the difficulty in spell casting. What they've had to do with with big spellcaster armies, like say the the nine, like with that new legendary legion, where they basically have to go and soup up all their spells again, where they don't lose will for combat, so they've always got will, and they get free spells. Sort of, I think the balance is is a little bit too far away from the the casters at the moment. That's really interesting. I I would say it's like really really even, that like more so than it's ever been, but like. I think, you know, they've souped up the nine, but we've seen Kylie use it without any of that, and it worked perfectly fine. Yeah, but the, that was in, before they... In the they, last edition of the rules, of... that's right. How powerful do we actually want magic to be? Because I don't think that was the kind of list that the designers were ever considered to be something people should be taking in a pitch battle. Um, but that's what they've done with the Legendary Legion. It's ex- pretty yeah, much exactly that. Exactly, but they but they changed everything to make it work, and and that's what I'm saying, right? I, I don't think that was something that they had considered, and, and now they have. They've created it and done it like that, but I don't think that was how magic was ever meant to be used in, in, in the context of the game. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it seems to me that previously you could transfix an Aragorn with a 70-point Wraith or, or less and do it for the, almost the whole game, and it was just super easy, and once he's out of will, it's, it's basically free. Um, now it's a little bit harder, but it's definitely still possible to do that. So I, I, I think the magic is pretty balanced. Mm, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I get your point there. I still think that that's a that's a fair investment. And yeah, I, I get that. Um, back in those days, the, the tactic was you, you take one one more hero, then they've got wraiths, and then you're all good because you can go on a mission to chop up the wraith and, and stop that. So yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I still. I think with, with there's a lot of things going against spellcasters with all the spells. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them getting that, that two level now instead of the one level. So you have to spend might, um, a might that you don't know if it's going to work or not. So you have to spend the might before you've even cast. Then they've got the ability to resist your spell. Um, and I feel that, and, and then to get the wheel back as well. There's a lot of things going on. And, and I, I look, it's, it's, it's just my personal opinion. I think it might be one step too far on that. But that said, it hasn't really affected my games that much. And like mm. in the games where I've had to cast, I've, I've been able to cast when, when I do it. It just, it's basically one spell for the game instead of a whole bunch. So mm. 
I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no, fair point. If I was going to say, like, the main reason why I think it's good that they've changed it to how they've, to, to where it is now, it's that you're actually seeing people taking these big heroes and they're able to do stuff in the game. Yeah. Whereas, I think in the last edition of the game, a lot of the time, you'd take something big, something that you thought would be a lot of fun, and they sit there transfixed for the whole game. Um, I, I don't think you see that as often now, and I, I that's, I, I'd prefer it this way, personally. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. But that was I think that was specifically the the Rafe model as well. So I, I no, you know, that that that's mm-hmm. a fair call. You can definitely take things and not so worry about it. And um there was a stage where if you didn't take some magic you might have been you'd have to really think about what you're gonna do mm. instead. Yeah. So people, I yeah, no, hundred percent yeah. agree on that too. Which I think I think kind of shows that you know, kind of balancing magic is is such a hard thing to do. There is a fine line between, you know, it being oppressive and interactive. And we talk about so much about how we want the game to be interactive, but it is so easy to for it to slip off that being interactive, you know, part that we like into something that's extremely oppressive that, you know, is, is very hard to, to, to deal with. And, and like we said, is not fun to play against. Just as an example, I was playing a game uh, against Kylie just the other day, a doubles game with a couple of friends of ours, and uh, it was doubles, so it was from the match playbook, and Kylie's Gandalf was able to come on from any any corner, any side of the board, anywhere, basically. So I, what am I going to do with my Gothmog? I couldn't figure out what to do with him, and it ends up, she comes on, she finds an angle, and she just sorceress blasts someone into him, and there goes the wag for the whole game. It's like, th- that can still occur. You can still really nullify a hero early on with magic. Um, magic is still really powerful. I just think over the course of a game, it doesn't quite sustain that power as much as it used to, and, and that's why I'm happy with it. So, what, what were you going to say, Jeremy? Uh, I think uh, going on to that point, yes, I, I agree. You can definitely definitely find ways to find advantage of it. I think what I'm more concerned about with magic now, it's the the powers that you can't resist that have become the, the dominant powers. Mm. So things like the... Uh, Whatever that terror bubble is that that Kidan casts, or the um, the blinding light, and these sort of spells, I think they're the ones that not wreck a game, but could potentially cause a, a lot of angst because you've got nothing you can do against it. Whereas so much of the other magic, you can go and you you can resist, you can do other stuff. But um, things like um, like Kidan's a perfect example. He his spells are pretty well. Like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but none of them you can resist them. Is that right? You've yeah. got what blades and he's none got of them can blinding light. Them. Yeah. Yep. So yep. so he goes and he he casts whatever he wants and and it's so reliable compared to something like a wraith, which there's only a f- one spell that they've got that you can't resist. I think is it or um, the the terror aura, isn't it? The only one that, that uh, doesn't no, have a direct resist. Still, fear can be resisted. Yeah. So yeah, everything yeah. else can be resisted. So, everything, everything yeah. they have can be. Yeah. Oh, except the oh no, because they they come with terror, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to call. Yeah, so that's I think that's a big thing. So you've got all this extra in resisting, which sort of pushes it to those spells that don't have the mm. ability to resist at all. And I think that's that's part of the reason we had those problems early on in the edition with with Kirdan and and why he has to have a an elf to hold his hand now whenever he goes to battle because he's got like the dominant spells, ones that that cannot be resisted, cannot be interacted with. They're just basically I'm going to get them up no matter what happens, and these are an army effect now for the rest of the game. Mm, uh, yeah, and that's exactly what we were talking about in part one, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Kylie? With yeah. like the sort of set and forget stuff. 
we we're not super mm. keen yeah. on. Yeah, yeah it, I, what I would really like to see, like as as a couple of things for like exhaustion, is either a having uh, if you can get within range of when an exhaustion spell is cast, you can attempt to resist it. Uh, that could be kind of cool. Or I think would probably be a little bit more appropriate is there's an upkeep cost to keeping those aura effects on the table. So say Gandalf does put that blinding light off. Okay, you have blinding light, but now you need to keep paying like a will point at the end of each turn to keep that effect going. So when you do throw up these auras, it is a commitment of your resources to keep it going. It's not, right, blinding light's off, I'm now going to keep blasting things. It's, right, I've now got blinding light off, my ability to use other spells is now limited because I'm constantly having to dump you know, my will points into keeping this spell active all the time. And, you know, me and Matt have talked so much about, you know, maybe shamans need to get a free point of will and, you know, working around this kind of um, idea with, with, you know, other spells like Fury, um, uh, uh, other ones are like Terrifying Aura and stuff as well, I think would be really, really beneficial for the game because it means that you're then having to make choices with what you want to use your will with, as opposed to, you know, in the first three turns in the game with Gandalf going, right, here goes Blinding Light. Here goes Terrifying Aura. All right, let's throw a couple of Strengthening Wheels out. Okay, I'm in range. Blast, blast, blast. It's, it's almost autopilot, and there's no real choice. And like we said before, we always want choice in the game, and, and that's that's what we really want to see. Mm, I also wouldn't mind just sort of a natural exhaustion type thing where um, maybe you don't have to pay the might to, to get it exhausted or whatever, but instead you have to like just cast a spell each turn, but not not like not any, not any resources as well. I could see being potential as well. So just like your fury, once it gets up, you have to keep doing the three plus in order to to see if it happens every turn. Otherwise, it just sort of disappears. So there might be other ways around it as well. But I think it's more for that things like the uh, the blinding light, where it's just like once it's up, it's gone forever. I think the idea that that the light sort of extinguishes and then you have to cast it again could be cool and, and do you want to cast it again do you want to put the re- put the resources into to casting it or at this point do you want to start doing something more fun yeah and another way that you could sort of balance just spitballing but another way you can balance is um if you're concentrating on a area of effect spell um maybe you can't cast other spells at the same time so if you want to cast another spell you'd have to drop that other spell yes there's there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah, you can do of, lots of things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, mm. it almost reminds me a bit of uh, concentration from D and D and how that kind of mechanic works. But you know, we're getting yeah, we're getting exactly. a little bit sidetracked. There's one other thing I'd like to talk about. Oh yeah, we are. Yeah, this <laughs> was one other thing I would like to kind of go in a bit of of kind of looking at um, what exists in the game, what we think is good, but you know, is just not quite hitting the mark. What what is good but could be great. Well, it's good. That's what I've been saying the whole time, Kylie. <laughs> we've been coming up with all the good stuff, but um, uh, I think we, we've got some stuff written down here already, don't we, Kylie? So, yeah. Ooh, ooh, show me what you've got. Tell yeah, me what you've got. Yeah, here we have. Um, okay, so we already talked about this quite a lot, but the special strikes, um, ways in which that could become great. I, I don't know, actually. Get know rid of I, it. Yeah, I actually don't know if I agree with that <laughs> on the list <laughs> uh, after our previous No, I, I like the idea of just on heroes. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just want to get has a hammer. He can do stuff with it. Yeah, I just yeah. want to get rid of the uh, the the, the preloaded uh, the dice rolls and stuff. Make it make it a, a requirement you need to fulfill to do the special strike, not the uh, thing. But we we said all that earlier. Yeah, I think we uh, yeah, yeah. we double printed re- uh, special strikes. But one that we do have here is um, heroic, specifically the kind of the 
ad hoc freedom you have with just calling them. I think I like heroics as how they work and interact with the game. I think it's absolutely great, but I would love what they kind of had all the way back in the, the one ring book where there was, there was almost an order to how they were called. So if it, basically the person with priority states whether they want to call it. And then the person without priority can state whether they want to call theirs. Then the person with with priority can go back and change their mind and declare whether they want to call heroics. Yeah. And then and, then and it goes to this alternating yeah. thing where you know we're not stacking and just randomly calling it because you get these kind of weird situations where this can almost be this Mexican standoff of like I don't want people to know my strategy, therefore I won't call anything. But I think with just a little bit more structure to the heroic actions phase, um, it could be really really interesting and really really tactical part of the game because you go alright I'm going to call this alright well in response I'm going to call this okay in response I'm going to call this alright well I'm going to pass now and then go alright I'm going to pass as well okay we're done with heroic actions and then that kind of ends the phase and I think stuff like that would be um, would be really really beneficial for the game in terms of you know how we, we step out at the start of each phase yeah I, I want to get straight into that and say we always played that incorrectly, Kylie. That was never the way that it was intended to be done, the way that we used to do it. But it was better. Our way was better. I'm sorry to everybody who, who always played it as, you can just go, oh, I'm going to call a, a combat here and a combat here and a combat here. What do you feel like doing? I actually changed my mind. I don't want to call that one. I'm going to go call this one over here instead. I actually know, you know what? Scrap the whole thing. I won't do any of it if you're not going to do anything. No, come on. The, I, the way that we figured out like, from <laughs> reading the book correctly, <laughs> from reading the rules... Hey, 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 hey. How just because the word written... alternate doesn't actually mean alternate, it means you I just will, go as much as you I want. I will die on this hill, I will, because our way <laughs> was strategically more interesting and way more fun, honestly, and I get why people... It, it, did, it did, though, lend itself to a bit of, like analysis paralysis where people didn't know what to do whereas i do like now where you can just come in and just go okay start i'm gonna call hero combat hero combat, hero combat, and just go like five in a row and just like totally scare the person into submission they go oh oh well 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 nothing for me i have done that that was fun to do at Arla one year but just 12 hero actions <laughs> yeah. turn and watch my opponent go what i think i think the biggest problem with the like I, i've got no problem with the just just like list them off. I, now that I've played it, I don't really have an issue with that. I just think that the way it works with things like Gothamog is just weird. Where you've got that master of battle, where you get to to call something after someone's called it, and you can get that sort of thing where someone's like, "Oh, you you do yours," and and like like I don't want to call well, and then you have to do this negotiating. Well, well, Gothmog will call this given this, but there if that doesn't happen, he's going to do, and you just get this weird negotiation type thing going, mm. which which is okay, but I, I think that it's a bit strange without a sequence order for it and. I don't know. I, I wonder if it, it's something that, that, that changed. Like, I know that we say that, that the interpretation that we had where the idea of alternating turns doesn't mean alternating turns. It means Matt goes as long as he wants until he feels like stopping. But I, I wonder if there's like a change in the guard type thing where it was initially one way and then maybe it was was sort of evolved into another way or, or got taken over by gaming groups. There's, there's some house rules that become like normal rules at times. Some of our house rules that... We just sort of forget that they're not actually rules. Things like our terrain, where you get a woods, we just say there's an in the way no matter what. And these sort of these sort of house rules that we have locally, we that aren't actually rules, sometimes sometimes become rules. 
Yeah, that that one in particular, the one you just mentioned, where it was always a a single four plus in the way when there was a forest between you. Um, we had to at one point make a concerted effort to say to people, actually, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to play it the way that the rules are written because we, we started interacting more with the international community, and obviously nobody else was. And that's doing terrible because that. our way yeah. is better. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, what we should have done is tried to change their minds. That was our mistake. Yeah, no, no, when you two came back and basically said, oh, no, all your forests are nothing, Jeremy, now. I was like, no, go play somewhere else then. <laughs> like, like, the very oh, first time, I think that is exactly what you said. <laughs> I uh, think for Bayon, yeah. that was almost, yeah. that was almost bang on. In my forest, I'll play in the way I like. Yeah, I have to admit, though, there was, I remember the very first game I played against our friend Henry Kerr, I use the term friend loosely. No, I love you, Henry. He was standing on the corner of a forest, and I was on the opposite corner of a forest. There was no actual trees between us, and he takes a shot, and I'm like, all right, now roll, you're in the way. And he's like, what? I'm like, oh, okay, this could be a problem. Because <laughs> it was literally the two models had nothing between them, and they weren't even far apart, and I had to explain to him, oh, we always play a four plus in the way for forests. That's a tricky one to explain to a new player, and it's probably better that we do, that we did end up, you know, changing to the way it's supposed to be played but no i i, I don't i still do the four plus i just tell them at the start uh, of the game i just say enough. this is this is my terrain this is my rules no that's absolutely fair enough at home at a tournament i don't know so much but like no i still enough. do it at a tournament okay <laughs> I, but, but having said <laughs> that's all of that providing all the terrain yeah, having said all of that i will absolutely die on the hill of heroic actions should alternate not alternate but alternate doesn't mean what it means in the english language it means whatever the rules writers and other people apparently think it means yeah no i disagree matt i'm Ah. gonna i'm gonna take your hill i'm gonna charge up and i'm gonna say i like i like the idea of just total randomness and as you guys try to enforce the terrain rules i am going to enforce this so i'm gonna get on this hill and i'm gonna constantly siege you while you die on this hill because Uh. i like this this i like the chaos i like the uncertainty i like the choices you've got the choices of do you come up to an agreement or do you have a phase that never ends? And that's so good for stalling because you could just never finish deciding. Yuck. I have the high ground, Jeremy. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not going to help you, Matt. Too bad. That puts us like eye to eye. You, you, underestim- oh. you underestimate his power, Matty. I underestimated Jeremy's power. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's what just happened. All right. What, what, are we, right. what else have we got, Kylie? Give us the next one. Uh, well, this one's actually one of your ones, Matty. It's our profiles. Oh. Uh, in, in particular... The spreading out of numerical values. Ah, yes. Yeah, I've, I've been advocating for this for a pretty long time, haven't I? I think it's really interesting that we have this game, right? Yeah, more decimals, and, more decimals. Well, okay, maybe not so much decimals, but we have this game and we say all of our values are between 1 and 10, right? That you, The lowest is 1, the highest is 10. I think there are some instances where they actually say that that's not necessarily the case, but... It never matters because there's no buffs that can get an attacks to 13. No one has 13 attacks. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think... No one has 13 attacks. attacks. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, (laughs) why do so many profiles fall in such a small band of values? Why? Why is that the case? Why is it that 90% of models are between... Uh, warriors are between fight three and fight five. Why? There's so much space there. Why uh, is it like all the big heroes are, you know, fight five or six? 
and, and that's what you're working off. Why is everything uh, approximately the same strength? Why is everything approximately the same defense, barring some outliers? You have all of that range. Why aren't we using it? That's what I would like mm. to know. That is the question I pose. I think a lot of it was, was thematic initially, especially, because they, they, the early ones played around of it quite a bit. You had some, some more extremes with it, but people started to, like, they wanted to compare things. So this guy should be a better fighter than this guy, and this guy should be a better fighter than this guy, and, and that sort of stuff. But I think um, I've, got, I've got no problem with the strength and defense and that sort of stuff. I think they're, they're fine. I do agree with you on the fight value. There's no reason why it has to be so similar, and I think it causes problems where you get, like, a bonus to a fight value of a sheriff, and suddenly he's he's a better fighter than a trained ministerial warrior, and things things like this that that are just weird, and you, and like humans that are like like Rohan are suddenly as good fighters as owls just because because they've got a, a hero around with them, and I, that's that's the one I have problems with. It's a fight value, and you get I I hear always people people hear people saying things like a uh, Bolg and Azog got way too high fight value because Glorfindels only fight seven. It's like well. Well, can we put Glorfindel up a bit? Like, like is I, I wouldn't mind a bit more granularity in that. And I think from a game point of view, the game will totally support it. I think there's no issue whatsoever with with spreading it out. And that one, I actually think you could, if you didn't want to change it up, you could definitely do decimals. There's no reason you couldn't because it's just it's a straight comparison. Mm. Yep, that that's absolutely or, fair or, enough. Decimals would, or, would still work. I reckon what would be cool is unbind uh, five value. Let it go as high as it wants. Let strike go as high as you can roll. It then means strike from a low tier character isn't going to suddenly, you know, get to equal with Aragorn or something like that. Un- you know, let the Balrog be fight twenty or whatever. Let 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 these crazy elf lords get up to fight thirteen. Well, what's stopping him to get to these these crazy numbers? Like the way we do roll offs is is already pretty well and pretty good, pretty elegant. So, what what's the harm of opening up that five value band? It's only used for comparison. It doesn't scale on any other stat. Yeah, it is really interesting, isn't it? It's like, why why is there a cap on that? What's the point? I don't, I don't understand it, actually. I think they just did it for... I, I think know. it's just the idea that a stat can't go above 10, so therefore it can't go above 10. I think it, It's really interesting, though, because I actually just found where it says that in the book, and they specify that it is uh, fight, strength, defense, and courage, I think. They don't say anything about attacks or wounds, Um uh, there's, I don't know. Well, wounds can go above ten. There's, there's characters yeah, with like, yeah, um, you're absolutely right. With Smaug, isn't it? Yeah. Smaug's twenty. Smaug's Smaug twenty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's oh, those it. are the highest. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, fight, strength, defense, and courage can only ever be increased to a maximum of ten, decreased to a minimum of one. It's like, I understand minimum of one, but why? Why maximum of ten? Because you've only got ten fingers, Matt. We're talking about war gamers oh, here. Yeah, you can't right. percentages. Oh, my mistake. You know what? Actually, it all makes sense now. I see the matrix. Yeah, we don't want to have to take people take their shoes off to count fight value. They'll be a <laughs> anyway. That that's my opinion on the profiles and how you could definitely elongate them. You could bump up elves to a higher fight value and then sort of string up all the stuff that you think is uh, maybe a little bit better than what it should be. Bump it all up. Bring some stuff down. Like wh- whatever. Just make it more realistic to how that model is realistically going to fight. Like, Warriors of Minas Tirith, it doesn't make sense that they're, like, low fight value. They're a trained military corps. People have talked about this for so many years. Why are they so weak? 
Is it just because they got flounced in the army? Like, sorry, in, it's just because they were written first. Like they their got, rules were out, and then everyone else came out and said, "Well, well these farms the from the like, must be better." Uh, that, but that's twenty years worth of time you had to tweak that. Like, <laughs> yeah, but you've got no motivation to Matt. You know how long? Like, like I've got some models that I haven't painted for twenty years. I, I have my motivation. Don't remind me, Jeremy. Motivation to change it. <laughs> Throw me in, coach. I've got the motivation. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's where I stand on that, and I think that the profile system fantastic. How it's implemented, not so great. Mm. Could be better. Mm. All right. Well, I got. I think it's almost great. I got. Mm. I got one more thing that I think uh, would be really good to kind of improve on what is already there. I think fate, particularly interactions with fate, because at the moment I don't think there is enough models in the game interacting with fate, and I don't think fate as a resource is getting enough love. I would love to see uh, things like. Uh, the king profiles get a second point of fate, and I would like to see more models with special rules that interact with fate. A bit like how we have the spiders and the mogul blades, because fate almost feels like a a nothing stat. There's not much we uh we really do or interact with it aside from you know getting an extra wound here or there. And I think uh, in terms of how the stat lines uh, behave, I, I would love to see some more interactions with fate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, and in fact, with with Will, I think it could there could be something else too. I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we do have a lot with Will already, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting that we use Fate for, one, saving wounds, and two, preventing Mirkwood spiders from ensnaring us. And, <laughs> yes. And those are the two things you can use Fate for. I think. Am I wrong? Is there anything else? Uh, Maybe there's another one. Blocking Mogul Blades. That's really kind of about it. <laughs> I mean, that's still preventing I would love wounds, Fate for, um, you know when you, do, you jump over a chasm? And you go and you're like, okay, I'm warming up to it. I'm going to go and I, you run up and you jump and then you roll the one. I would love Fate to be able to modify chasm rolls. You know what? I would like Fate to be able to change a jump check or a leap check or a swim check to an automatic six. Thoughts? Ooh. Ooh. I wonder... Oh. I, I yeah, actually like, cool. that. I no, like that. I do like I that. Like that. Mm. But I think, yeah. I, think you, I, like I, I think you would have to pay the Fate point before you roll. Oh yeah, yeah uh, yes. absolutely. It's a choice. Yeah, it's absolutely. a choice. Yeah, yeah. You go. Yeah, you, you can't get a one and then go right. I'm going to use my fate and bump that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that no, Roll first fail. to see if you get the six and then use it. No, no, no. Like all like like it's, it's mm. essentially a heroic action. You do like a a heroic I don't know swim or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, heroic navigating dangerous terrain. Yeah, and, exactly. And spend the spend the point of fate to do it. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool. And mm-hmm. I think especially for those dangerous terrain type things where like rolling to see if you slip off a. A rock face or something like that. Yeah, or... Or, or just that clutch moment where you absolutely need to go bounding over this obstacle and get into into someone on the other side of it. Like, yeah, I, I think that could be a really cool idea. Maybe even... I wonder if it's too powerful, though, if it's automatic. Potentially. I don't know, maybe. Potentially. Well, maybe a reroll. Maybe you can use it to buy yourself a reroll because, like, how many times have we had a hero that's been surrounded and you're like, well, if I lose the combat here, I'm dead. Wouldn't it be cool if you could spend that fate point to get yourself a reroll in that combat or something like that? Could be interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting idea too. Yeah, like one re-roll of one dice. Yeah, could also be cool to give you like that. You know that rule that some of the Eastlings have, where they when they're standing up, they can't be trapped. Mm-hmm. Like if you could do something like that with fate or mm. something, something to do with, with survival that's not necessarily just preventing wounds. That that's okay. I, I'm surrounded by guys. Fate will save me, and, and I can sort of back away between these two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so good many wish options. Good wish the the options it. are like infinite in terms of things you could definitely do with fate. Like if you and really we're going to cover them all. <laughs> 
All right, so strap yourselves uh, in. We've got like eight hours of this podcast to go. Let's go. All right, well, well, well if it's infinite, well, it's fate, fate, fate is the, the. No, no, infinity is eight hours, I'm pretty sure. And then you fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're reading it on its side, Matt. <laughs> well, fate is the last uh, stat in a profile. So I think we should wrap up part two of the core rules there, guys, and uh, take a bit of a break and then come back with uh, our last part, which is going to be all about army list identity. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. We've got part three of our kind of a critical analysis of the Middle Earth SPG, and our final kind of part is all about armulus identity. And what we kind of mean by armulus identity is what is the feel of the armulus? How does it play on the table? What's the running themes through the list? Like, for instance, Corsairs, they're, they're throwing weapons, they're, they're pirates, they're kind of, they're doing all this ducking and weaving stuff. And, you know, for instance, Eastlings have this, this theme and this kind of identity built around them all about, you know, killing enemy heroes and being great duelists and, you know, these, these big, you know, impact heavy, really attack heavy uh, heroes in, in the Dragonites and Amdu and, and stuff like that. So what we want to kind of uh, go into a bit is looking at some of the army lists uh, in the game and look at where um, either they're failing uh, with, you know, kind of their identities a bit all over the place or what we, the ones we really like with having a really solid identity and way they play. So um, uh, thoughts, guys? Yeah, so back in part one, I think we mentioned uh, what it is about the game that makes it fun, and one of the things that we came up with was representing the world that we're playing in. Like, we we all love Middle-earth, and something that we want is for the characters to act the way that they would act. So that works on the same level with army lists. We want army lists and armies to have a particular character, to, to act in a certain way that we believe they would act, you know? And, you know, th- there are many ways that this can be done. You've listed some of the uh, different identities of some armies that we've come up with. Uh, but I-, I think one of the things that's super important to remember when we're talking about army list identity is that 
every army still needs to have some kind of way of operating with every other army. So you, you need to be able to combat everything that your opponent has. So it, it's a really, really tough balancing act. And honestly, I think the rules writers have done an amazing job in the most recent rules. I think, and and especially with some of the new stuff that has actually come out recently, um, not all of it, we, we'll have our own gripes and we'll all come up with that sort of stuff, but a lot of the stuff that I think has been done recently has been really fantastic for fleshing out some of the armies that didn't have as much of an identity and for consolidating the identity of some armies without giving them too many of the same sort of thing. Again, we'll get into some of the negatives as well, but I think there's a lot of positives with the direction that the game is and the rules are heading. Uh, what do you think about that, Jeremy? But, oh, it's an interesting one for for identity. I think it's probably right most of the time, and I think you've got a bit of choice in most of them. I think a lot of it's limited in the, the game mechanics are very focused on hero interactions. So it's sometimes it's a have or have not type thing, where if your army list is hero-based, then it maybe acts like you think it would, and maybe if it doesn't have many heroes, it, it perhaps doesn't. So I I, I think overall, it, they, they pretty much do act like what you expect, with, with some exceptions, which I don't want to say right now, because I think you guys are going to ask specific examples a bit later on. But I, I agree with you that with that, Matt. I think it's it's uh, overall pretty good. Like the, the armies you expect to to run forward and smash face, go and do that. The ones you expect to dance around tend to do that. I think some of the cavalry armies are the ones where there's a bit of a tricky point because I think um, people have different ideas about how like light and heavy cav works. And I think, um, yeah, some of the heavy cavalry armies don't necessarily do what you imagine they'll do where you could just run them forward and just, just knock down everyone. Because from a game point of view, that would be pretty boring if they could just say, right, I've got some heavy cavalry, roll in, take down your whole army, go disappear. So, I think that's probably one of the, the, the concerns in terms of gameplay. Oftentimes, even with heavy cavalry, you're just waiting for that opportune time. So, uh, yeah, but let's let's move on and, and uh, be a bit more specific. I think. Yeah, well, let's let's kind of uh, kind of kick this ball rolling and, and look at some examples of army lists that we think have a really good identity and particularly have a really good representation of their models as well as how they represent kind of their lore within within Tolkien. So I'll kind of kick us off. I actually, I, and I know I've done really well with this list in the past, but I actually really love the way the Corsair list in particular is designed. There, there are some pretty obvious weaknesses in their really low defense, uh, in you know defense four, mm-hmm. defense three on pretty much most of the army. They've got this kind of you know hit and run feel. You know, they've a lot of the army has throwing weapons and stuff. You have tools there in your heroes uh, out of Dalamir and the Nine of Umbar that helps you lock down enemy. Uh, heroes, and you still have good shooting to be able to, you know, contend with those other lists that would, you know, look to try and shoot you off the table. And I, I really like the, the feel of the list, and it gives you enough options without giving you too many and, and taking away from from too much of the list. Can I no, can I respond yeah. to that one, Kylie? I'm going to jump in on that one. The Corsair ones are interesting because I I disagree with on that. I think the army itself is designed very well. I think it's a bit cheap. We talked about that in the Corsair episode. But I think like I don't see that as being how these sort of seafarers would go and fight. Like it's very throwing weapon heavy. It's very dance around and 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 based on that specific mechanic. And it's something that I don't necessarily see them using. I, I just it doesn't. I don't imagine that as much. So I think um. I, I 
I think that's one of my examples of not necessarily a, a thematic to really? representation. Matt, what do you I think? Don't know. I always seem a bit like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, kind of Jack Sparrow, kind of running around. How often do you use a throwing weapon, though? In, in what, Jack? No, it's his answer. Yeah, well, the pirates. So, like, you, can you imagine, like, pirates going to skirmish against each other? And, like, no, no, like you imagine sword fights and, and short-range guns and things, not, like, sitting there, like, well, throwing daggers that. They have right away. weavers that get in and get stuck in just crazy berserkers. The, the throwing weapons are just an extension of that, of, of running in and throwing weapons. Because once you've committed with Corsairs, you're committed, you're going in. Yeah, but the throwing weapons are the army. That's the, like, take out the throwing weapons, the Corsairs play very, very differently. So I, I think yeah I, I want to hear what Matt says I think I think Matt can break up yeah. the, the discussion I, here I, I think I think that's interesting I, I <laughs> this probably sounds really silly but I actually kind of like to pretend that they all have like single shot pistols like like little uh, derringers or whatever um, <laughs> so they're, they're actually running around and doing that but okay, I don't want Matt's no. opinion anymore can we have someone else's opinion <laughs> but no you're right Jeremy that they don't really aside from the Reavers they don't really act like pirates do they and the Reavers act in a well probably one of the strangest models in the whole game um, yeah I, I what I do like about the army list though for the Corsairs is it may not necessarily be perfectly thematic but it definitely has an identity. Yeah, yeah, no, you know I love it. Know what Corsairs are. So, as an as you said this earlier, as an abstraction, I think it works perfectly well. And I think we did talk about this, Kylie, where we sort of said, look, not all of the army lists that we think are good army lists are going to be perfectly thematic. Some of them are just really good army lists in the context of the game, not necessarily outside of it. And look, you don't see that much of Corsairs in in the movies at all barely anything really um you you don't hear that much about them in the books either uh i think it's perfectly fine for them to maybe train with knives from birth and be pinpoint shots or or whatever it doesn't bother me too much that they fight in a style that may not necessarily represent historical pirates um and look i maybe i need maybe i need to research it more but corsairs i think are a very specific thing Aren't they? I, I I could be completely wrong. I don't know much about. Um, it could be. I, I'm not sure or, about that either. I think that's something. Yeah. Some, one, of the, one of the uh, we'll get first comments will be responding to that, Matt, and and someone, I, someone I would love exactly. people to tell us. Yeah, I would love people to tell us like historically what corsairs were and what kind of their history was. That'd be really cool. Um, we're not going to do it in the middle of this episode though. So that's my opinion on corsairs. Uh, do we have another good example of an army list, Kylie? What do we? Well, uh, you've written down here, Rohan. That was yes. me, was it? Did you I write, write that, that down? down? Okay. Well, <laughs> no, I love Rohan. I think Rohan's really good. I think that. Oh, I, I, I know, I know why more... you wrote this down. I know why you wrote this down. Why did I write this down? Well, as as the core part of the list, ignoring the legendary legions, the Rohan list. Yeah, I, I was just yeah. about to say that. Yeah, I was literally just about to say we're going to get more into the legendary legions later. But if you ignore them, Rohan, really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agree. I, I, yeah. I think Rohan has uh, well, has always been pretty thematic with how it's played as that, that light cavalry army that can charge at the right time. 
But I feel like because people, everyone remembers that desperate moment in the movie where they just had to charge, just like get everyone and just just run down, thinking that's their their main tactics and play style. But also, it's it's one of the the trickier strategies in the game to work out. So especially for for new players or for hopeless players or whoever else, uh, just the the idea of using light cavalry and being opportunistic is tricky. And I know that there's some very good players as well that say, "Oh, that's boring. I don't want to move around. I just want to be dynamic and just have one turn where I've wiped the opponent off the board." And we talk about the legendary legions you're hinting at it i think my issue is that they've got that charge of thade and 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 they and all the other lists similar to that one where basically they just suit them up so much that they've tried to make them this heavy cavalry list but what they've done is made them a heavy hero list a heavy cavalry Mm. pure hero list and Mm. then i think uh you've seen some backtracking with the changes to gambling on that one i think it's probably gone too far in that direction i would have no problem if it was like waves of rohirrim like like the hundreds of horses going at it but what you see on the battlefield of Rohat a lot now is these little tiny hero-heavy armies. And once again, I feel like that's um, because of the Legendary Legion. So I agree with you that the main force is fine, but that, that Legendary Legion, you've started to, to push towards a playstyle that, that I don't see as being representative of that force. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the way that I look at it and why I think I wrote it down as a good example of an army list is... One of the first things that comes to mind for me, and I'm, probably this isn't going to be the case for a lot of people, but it's when uh, Aemer's, uh, what is it called, uh, Aered, his his group of riders mm-hmm. that had essentially been ex- exiled, um, track down and slaughter the Uruks that had captured Merry and Pippin, Ugluk's band of Uruks. And the way that they did, they shot that combat is exactly how I think Rohan plays in the game and how I like to play Rohan. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was, from a thematic point of view, the reason I put it down. But also, they're the Horse Lords, and you are taking an all-cavalry army with Rohan, unless you're taking a Legendary Legion. Uh, you can do the Foot Rohan, but let's be honest, you want to take it for the Cav. You want to take it for those cool riders, the Rohan Royal Guard that are so powerful now. I liked them before they were cool. Um, and the Sons of Aeol, when you take Aeol, because they are absolutely beastly, but of course you, you have to take them with Aeol now, otherwise mm. not so much. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just think everything in the army list now, including the Outriders, which used to be really problematic, originally heroes with a fate point that was completely insane because you gave them free might, uh, cheaper than, and then became warriors that were cheaper than a Rohan warrior with a <laughs> yeah, bow, and just, just objectively better in every scenario. So, yeah, uh, that was a problem. They fixed it. It's it's pretty good now. Everything in the list can be used and used well. I, I just think it's a really well-written army list. Mm, I think it's just the, it's the golden child. It's the, they just get everything. Rohan, just, just keep going, keep going. Well, I think... My, I my think concern now, of... that, now that they have Helm, right, they probably do, right? They've yeah. got Helm, I agree. They don't have magic, um, which, you know... Don't, don't give my ideas. You, you do, though, mean. really, because you've got, you've got Gandalf the White that, that hangs around a fair bit. And, sure. Um, yeah. But, like, that's a that's fair point. I think it's more that uh, I feel that like there's not enough variety in their heroes. They've got so many heroes... And they all end up doing pretty similar stuff. I would have liked it if there was a bit more variation in in the actual heroes, like the ones that were bodyguard type heroes, mm. like maybe maybe some like Gothmog's Enforcer or, or something like that type of hero, instead of just like this guy's 
the three one one guy that does this little thing. This is the three one one guy yeah. that does this, yeah. and and I don't. So I think what you're saying is support yeah. heroes, something that does that affects the army rather than just being another. Me and uh, me and Maddie actually kind of, uh, or maybe it was with you, Jeremy. I don't know. I talked with one of you about it, about um, particularly the Gamling, uh, Dernhelm, and Hama combo. Of why didn't they incorporate some 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 of the other really cool bodyguard models like the. Herald rules with the lifeguard, like having lifeguard on say Hama and then giving Hama say zero one three for stats or zero one two for stats would have been really cool because then it changes the way you would play Hama and uh, they kind of did it with Dernhelm. Uh, is it Dernhelm? Not Dernhelm. Um, uh, Darawan or whatever he's. Yeah, Darawan. Yeah, Darawan with, yeah. with his yeah. heroic combats and stuff. But you know, having him like what the shield bearer is a one zero zero guy or or, or uh, you know. Uh, a zero one two or something like that that gets free heroics to help bail Thaden out would have been really cool and you know you could combine them all together to make you know bump up your your, your king in your list either a Thaden or a Amir depending on who's your leader I think would have been a really interesting way of, of creating some more dynamic uh, models that aren't just your straight up three one ones because I don't know about you guys mm. but I'm kind of getting sick of the three one one heroes with. A single special rule like backstabbers yeah. or... I hate having extra might, I it's, know. Oh, like, it's, it's not the fact that they have extra might that bothers me. It's the fact that it almost feels lazy. It feels cooker-cutter. Like, the amount of 311 heroes that essentially are all the same. They're a, a captain profile with an extra point of might and one gimmick special rule. Rather than changing the fundamental way that mo- model plays, like you would in a dwarf list, a cast doom list, we say a shield bearer or, or a herald or, or a model like that that actually has a role, does something completely different aside from what you would get out of a basic captain. Yeah, and guess what? A king's champion is 2 one one. Two one one. They don't have to. Yeah, they don't even yeah, have to like yeah. make him three one one. Okay, that's it. You both said stuff. one. I'm going to say one. That Kazad Doom list, the dwarf list, is it Kazad Doom? Yes. It is Kazad Doom, isn't it? Yes. That one, mm-hmm. that's my example of a great army list design. It's oh, it's yeah. a dwarf army list. It's got that tankiness. Every hero's got their own little identity to it. Every model's got their own identity. There's lots of choices in that list. You've got like things like Vault Wardens that can go and be absolute like wall Roblox. sort of yeah. tunnel defending units. But you've also got movement in that dwarf army list. It's not it's it's slower than other armies, but it's not like it's it stands still. You've got a siege weapon that I think is not abusive at all, Kylie. I think that siege weapon that it's got, what's it called? A uh, the dwarf ballista. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've, I've, yeah. I've said this many times. I gave the ballistas and the Avenger bolt throwers of the world a pass. I gave them a pass. Okay, good. So, the I think ones that's I my example with. of it. Yeah, I think it plays exactly like you would imagine dwarves, and and they they can be fast if you you call a march and and get some sprinting going, and and they can they can be tough. And I, I just I, I think that army list that's my example of a good one. Okay, you two go and tell me I'm wrong. No, no, hundred percent agree. No, no, I actually totally agree. agree. Yeah, totally 100% agree. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, I, I would oh. go on to say like all of the maybe not all of them. I might have to think about it, but most of the Hobbit era armies I, I think are the same. I think. They kind of all came out at the same time, or all the profiles, and as a result, they tend to be pretty cohesive and make a lot of sense. They've got um, a lot of limitations, and... those ones, so I think mm. they haven't got to the point where they've got like thousands of extra troops that have changed the identity. Right, yeah, exactly right. So they're not a Mordor or a, or a Gondor or whatever, well, maybe not Gondor, 
yep. horses, Harrod, whatever. But um, they, they were written so that they would have a, a few different things with different roles in terms of the warriors, a few interesting heroes, and frankly, that's all you need. I, like, we look at how they, quote-unquote, fixed Dunland recently, right? All they had to do was add, what is it, three heroes that interacted in different ways... And like what was it? Two, two warrior types? types. Two, three types? Yeah. Two, 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 three warrior types. The, sorry, three. The, the horsemen, the huskulls, and yeah, the, three. The, the crabine. Yeah. So, and that's all it took. All it took. And all of Six those, profiles. Yeah, Done. That's it. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I, I know maybe that does seem like a lot, but really it's not. It's, it's not that much for, for a list that only had at the time three profiles. So that means if you got nine profiles, you have potentially a con- totally complete army. Like, that's perfectly fine, right? Yeah. And sometimes all of the, like, creation of the character of a list can be in the heroes, and, and that's perfectly fine. Looking at Rivendell, for instance, you essentially have one warrior type. You can put it on a horse, you can give it different equipment, but it's essentially the same, right? But then mm. you have all these different cool heroes that do different things and interact and create the army t- doing a different kind of play style but it's all still effectively the same because the warriors are all the same. So it, it's I, I just think that's like a really perfect example. Another one is Iron Hills. They do exactly the same thing, right? Where they just have like the one troop type essentially and you can chuck them on a goat if you want. And then all the a, a few different things that just interact in a different way. I, I think that's a really good template for writing a strong, cohesive army with a good identity. Mm. Because we, we look at like some of the army lists that that don't have that kind of identity. We look at stuff like Easterlings, and it's it's so cookie cutter. It's it's it is. This is the list. There's no real changes. There's mm-hmm. nothing else really fancy you can do with it. Although hopefully with this uh, with some of the leaks we've got recently, they're going to introduce some cool models to to the list and kind of change up a bit of of of, of how it plays. And like another example I can think of off the top of my head are the Rangers of the North. They're exactly the same. It's you, you take Aragorn, Halbrad, and as many guys on foot as you can fit. That's it. You don't really have much think... other choice than that. But, you know, at least with the previous edition of the Rangers of the North, you, you had choice. You could go, all right, do I want captain level? Do I want to go captain level? Do I want to go uh, ranger level? Like Dunedain level? Or do I want to go, you know, bog standard, you know? Uh... Um, ranges of Gondor level, like you kind of had these three levels for kind of your your, your not named heroes troops, and it, it interacted in a really interesting way. And I, I was a little bit disappointed when they changed the way the Arnor list is was built because you could do you could change the level of how powerful you wanted your your heroes to be in the list, but now it's just kind of very. This is it. This is this is what you get. They're, they're all the same. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's really interesting that you bring up Eastlings because I'm beyond excited for this uh, new, what looks like to be a new warrior model. I'm very, very excited. I hope they do something really interesting and new. It, it's interesting you, you mentioned them because I think we got a message recently from a listener who asked us uh, if we actually independently write our army lists when we do a mustering an army or if we sort of uh, collaborate with them. And the answer is it's a bit of both. We sort of say we do a little... We'll, we'll do a, a a particular model and we'll say, all right, I'm doing this guy. And the other two will be like, okay, I'll do this and we'll do this. I say okay. I'm going to do a really good list and Matt says I'm going to do one that's not so <laughs> I'm going to do some trash and, and you guys can absolutely rag on it. Cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, our answer is, you know, a bit of both. 
but the reason he asked is he said that all of our Easterling lists seemed really similar. And the reason for that is we all went away and independently wrote them, and they all came out the same, because there's not actually much you can do with them. They just sort of end up being the same, because we all sort of have the same ideas around how Easterling lists are going to function. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, th- there's not much variety. There's no kind of there's no kind of so, way to change the paradigm of the list or, or, the, or the direction you want to take into achieving a goal because you don't. There's no tools in the list. There's there's not a lot of tools to really help you do it. They're all the same tool that does the same thing in a slightly different way. Like you feel. Mm-hmm. No, I think Kylie. Um, I think more specifically, like you're you're speci- you're saying that okay because there's not a lot of choice. Like try some of the Hobbit list. You're going to get that sort of. Say same effect, but I think the the big problem that people have with the Easterling list is that you you basically pushed into that I'm going to rely on my heroes to do the work type thing, which I think when people go into Easterlings they don't want they want this idea of this this sea of troops doing fantastic things like almost like Isengard plays where you've got this fantastic lot of warriors which you just don't get at the moment. So I think that's probably the the biggest issue we have with with Easterlings, and there's that direct comparison to Gondor, where Gondor's got all the troops in the world and all these bonuses and things, and Easterling doesn't. So if you want to play them as Gondor, you've got a sub-Gondor, and if you want to play them in a way that, that gives them something different, you're basically going Dragonite heavy, which is not necessarily what people wanted when they went into it. They wanted that that marching um, phalanx that they saw in the films at, at the Black Gate. Uh, the one list I want to add to this one, Kylie, and it's not on, on your show notes, which I've just had a look at, uh, fiefdoms, I think I've got issues with multiple things to do with mm-hmm. them. First of all, from a theme I, point of view, fiefdoms I agree. I agree. I agree with this one. feel better than, than Gondor. They feel like they're, they're, they're better warriors, they're better better troops, which I don't seem like... I can understand if the um, like the, the Adol Amroth is, but the rest of them seem seem pretty good but also the fact that it's now overlapping heroes is a bit of a worry as well so yeah i, I think that's that's another yeah, issue they, they've also got a bit of that set and forget aura stuff as well you know I, i've taken um i've taken am ambor so therefore everything's fearless i've taken form therefore i get plus one courage and you know all of these other um re-rolled ones and stuff like that like i i understand where you're coming from jeremy and i agree with the fiefdoms list i'm actually yeah 100 percent agree like the black javel archers should be way lower fight value than they are same with the the almost the actually all of all the troop types the, the only ones that i think i'm kind of happy with, with in terms of power level is is this one nice because you know they were the cream of the crop kind of deal but yeah but then you've got like the super aura with with Imre Hill, which I I, I, I I think is over the yeah, top I as agree. well. Yeah, I agree. Hill's aura should, at bare minimum, come down to six inches. Aragorn King Elisar has a yeah. six-inch bounce. Uh... Hill's is 12, and it does the same yeah. thing. Like, oof. Oof, oof, oof. I am the king of all, mm-hmm. all of the Western men, and my band is six. I, I, I go rule this castle down here. Mine's 12. It's, it's yeah. It's it's it's, yeah. it's one of yeah, it's it's one of those wacky kind of uh, interactions and like as as well as like uh, some of the changes to hor- the horns and stuff. I, I feel is like that just this plus one courage across the board. I think is was another weird one as well. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but yeah, I would have liked horns to be slightly different. Just sorry, horns in general, war horns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Warhorns in general. Because um, I'm just thinking about, like, we talked about Durin, and then I mentioned Forlong, and I'm like, yeah, why do they? Why do all these characters keep getting all these massive plus one effects? Like, 
why can't they do something interesting like Boromir's horn? Or, or what the old Erkin brand horn used to do, which is once per day you blew on it and you got this banner effect. I thought that was really cool. I would like to see more of that. Yeah, horns don't have to yeah. give plus one courage. 100% agree with that. It's it's funny because Durin's got one, but then a lot of the time you take him with all of his um his hearth guard who are ignoring mm. it anyway. So yeah, <laughs> it's a funny one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, I'm not a big fan of war horns. I wish well, in certain armies they're incredible. Yeah. In others, it's like meh. I guess that's the price you pay of having a war gear that a lot of different armies can yeah. take. Some are going to make better use of it than others. Yeah. Um, all right, so we talked about some armies. Let's let's get into kind of the black sheep of the family, the legendary legions, because these are kind of skyrocketing in popularity. There are some there are some really good legendary legions out there, and some really uh, I, I question what's 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 going on and and why this particular legion was 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 brought out. Legendary legions, I think overall the idea behind them is absolutely fantastic in that. Uh, you've got some reward for people to play thematically, and, and that's what we want to do in the game. We want to make sure that we we have theme going on because a lot of people like that. So, so I can see where, especially in areas where they don't have that naturally. I know that we've always been very lucky where our our leading players have always played thematically. But if you're in an area where you don't do that, I think it's it's fantastic to see more themed armies in there. I think at the moment it's very much a have and have nots type situation where uh, some of the legendary legions are, are nice and, and balanced and, and thematic and have some real choice into them and others are almost auto take and that's I think the concern I have with them at the moment in the, is that some of them have just become the way you play for example Rohan. So I think that's probably my biggest issue. It's also an issue where they've used them to fix things like, like Dunland the the fact that the the Dunland truly only shows its colours in the Legendary Legion, which really does limit your your alliance stuff. So I feel like the comment uh, Kylie said before about cookie cutter, um, I think you potentially risk that a little bit. Where where do you really want to play it in any other way? And that's that also concerns me a little bit. But I think the biggest problem I have with some of the Legendary Legion is there's probably the negatives just aren't really there can, compared to the positives. I like the ones that there's some real choice to them. So things like, is it Gothmog's Legion out of the, the Gondor at War? That one is one of my favorites because you have some real negatives compared to a mortal list. There's a lot of times where you just rather take a mortal list over it, but it's it's very thematic. It's interesting to play. It plays how you expect it to be, and it's 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 fun to use. One thing I'm interested in is whether Legendary Legions were sort of in the pipeline at the same time as the Allies chart was being made, because I think it invalidates uh, a lot of what's in the Allies chart. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, those two things sort of interacting. If that, Yeah, I, I, I think what we would like to see is obviously thematic alliances that can be created. And then I think the Legendary Legions should sort of be a way of getting around some things that wouldn't otherwise make sense in the Allies chart. So if you really want to have, I think a Helm's Deep Force is a great example with Haldir and the Lothlorien Elves along with alongside Rohan. If you really want to create a way that that can be done without messing with the ally chart, then I guess it makes sense. It makes sense that Aragorn would actually be leading some of the elves and not just the Rohirrim, you know, and that then that all of those characters, particular characters are there, and it doesn't mess with all of the other army lists and, and the allies that you need to create. You need to be able to make everything ally with each other in that way. 
So in that respect, yeah, I think legendary legions are fine. But as you say in there, Jeremy, sometimes they, the power level is just so over the top. And I think inversely, sometimes it actually seems a bit weak. Like, sometimes I don't think it actually um, offsets some of the negatives of taking these particular models together mm. enough. I don't know. How do, you, how do you feel about that, Kylie? Do you have an example of that, Matt? Uh, oh, look, not off the top of my head, but there are some I, Legendary Legends I feel like aren't being played... And probably the main reason for that is there are there is another legendary yeah. legion with similar models. That I've, I've got out. I've got the perfect uh, example for you, uh, Maddie. Theodred's mm-hmm. Guard. Yep. That legendary okay. legion is pretty much outclassed by the other kind of infantry focused uh, Rohan legendary legions like uh, like Helm Hammerhand or um, uh, what's the other what's the other guy? Uh, not the Amy, the Helm State one, the Helm State one. So. Yeah, yeah. So there's the Helm's Deep, there's the Theodred's Guard, and these are all sort of foot Rohan, right? That's like the idea Mm. behind them, for the most part. And their spears can be used as throwing spears or spears. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it, yeah, I think you're right. I think the Theodred's one just kind of gets outclassed. And it's like, if you really want to run that theme, which I don't think a lot of people are clamoring for anyway. If oh, really you say that, like, but it's, I, it's I played the game literally today against a, a, a um, Thaedred's uh, guard just because, uh, well, that's because one of our uh, local friends, uh, Jude, big fan of Thaedred, loves the tragedy involved with him, uh, plays a lot of Thaedred. Oh, yeah. well, awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And it's great that people can do that. But yeah, in terms of, I guess, a, a tournament perspective and a competitive perspective, it falls a little bit short, which is kind of sad. And I, Look, I, I need to look more into it, because I don't actually know too much about the differences between good. those legendary mm-hmm. legions. I, I, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. I, I think... Uh, what's an example? Maybe the opening of the Black Gate, where it, it seems like your troop choices are very limited, and the benefits don't mm. seem that yeah. powerful. Like, you get your souped-up troll chief... And is there anything else? I, I think there is one other thing, but I can't. Uh, you get is. the you get the you get the rerolls out of um, the the outnumbering uh, thing. So if if you outnumber your so exactly the same as more. No, 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 no. You get plus one to wound if you outnumber your opponent in a fight. So that's Baradua, is it? Yeah, uh, Baradua. No, it's. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one, and we can we can check that up. But I think yeah. um, that one I would have loved to see Eastlings in it as well, just to make it really mm. Blackgate themed. Because I think that's where the Legendary Legions could really shine when you've got that specific focus, like you said with Helm's Deep one. You got that focus on a specific battle that you need a certain combination of alliance, and you don't want to have that punishment for taking an Eastling captain. So it'd be really cool to have some sort of like like that combined arms force type thing with. With the the Blackgate trolls and some, I know that the Eastlings weren't actually in that scene, so that's probably why they're not doing it. But I I think that that's something that could be interesting. And yeah, I think that one's probably not everyone's favorite one. It's it's not too bad, but I think it's probably a, a decently written one because it's not too bad. But I think that that, that one. Uh, yeah, I, I've I, I played the Blackgate Legion quite a lot because I I love ro- running my my trips or my double trot chieftain, but um it, it has like it's it's like. It's got only a very specific points level at which it is competitive and can actually mm. do things because, you know, just because of how points work and that, your opponent can't get all these tricks and having a fearless troll is really handy. But, yeah, it's... I don't mind that design choice, but 
it, it can be awkward at times, especially when they, they go with these really, really powerful legendaries as like, you know, the paths of the Druidan and, and, and stuff like that, um, and uh, Return of the King and that, that, you know, really jack up the power of, of the characters in the list um, and make them super competitive because of it. It's... It's it's an interesting kind of to and fro about what they what they what they're trying to do with the list, and I don't mind at times when they when they do that, especially when like they like you said, Jeremy could create opportunities for doing specific moments uh, in the books that would otherwise or some books and movies that would otherwise be impossible to do with the matrices. But what I don't like about it is that they take away some of the army list identity for some of those lists or the playstyles of that list and completely change the way that particular type of uh, um, army is played. Uh, I think a good example would be the Foot Rohan. The, the fight and ranks special rule that you can use your spears as... Uh, throwing spears as spears, I think is... I don't... It doesn't really mesh. I, I don't like like it because it changed the playstyle of Rohan. Rohan was this skirmish-based force and then suddenly you can now fight in ranks. It was just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's more thematic though. So I, I'm not actually against that one and I know that that maybe they're they're getting some value out of that one but I, I'm not I don't mind that one what I don't like with the legendary legions is some of them a bit that they feel like there's not a huge amount of point to them and I'm thinking specifically from uh, one of my favorite books I think it's one of the best ones the scouring of the shire the the, the um bywater and the the ruffians just feel like the normal lists there's there's I think in the shire one maybe one hero missing or a couple heroes mm. missing uh, but not much at all. And the ruffian one is just what you would be taking with ruffians. And it's it's almost the way you have to play them, which is, I feel like it's it's quite strange. I would have much preferred that one to have some some different rules and maybe some of the, the ruffian stuff to, to be in the normal list as well. Because that one in particular, like, there's no reason you'd play ruffians in a standard way. Yeah, I actually think that's quite damning on the opinions of uh, competitive gamers because... It sort of suggests that if they didn't give us some bonus for sticking within the list, then the only way that people would play these models is as ridiculous allies with with crazy stuff thrown in or whatever. Um, that's how I kind of feel about the Theodred one, because, like, why wouldn't... You, you could just do that, right? There's nothing in that list that couldn't just be taken as it is already. Why do you need these bonuses? I don't, I don't mm. really understand that. Like, sometimes it feels so unnecessary. Well, I think the idea is that you don't want to like take take your thematic list and then be so much worse off because of it. So mm, I right. like I don't I don't mind that so much. And and the Theodred one has actual real limitations to it, so I don't mind that one either. Like it's it's a specific battle. It's a battle where they did notably fight in a shield wall. So I I've got no problem for that one. And and you've got all kinds of penalties. For example, Grimbold can't take his horse. So you've got a... I feel like that's a that's an appropriate one. I don't, I don't mind that one. And I know that that one um, has actually got quite a bit of fans. I've, I've played against that one quite a few times. And that's actually one of my favorite Rohan builds to play against. Uh, I think it's it's actually quite interesting. And it, it feels it kind of cool. And, and the, like the Royal Guard feel like really elite infantry, but there's not a lot of them. And the Helmingers feel like there's really tough guys, but there's not a lot of them. And it's uh, the heroes are strong, but they're not really ridiculously strong. I, I really like that one, and I don't know, have you played against it a bit, Matt? I, I haven't, but the the question I have regarding it, I think I have seen it played once, I can't remember if I was actually playing, I can't recall, but um, mm-hmm. the question I would have for you is, could 
could the same effect have been done just by tweaking Theodred's rules or, or um, Grimbold's rules? Yeah, I think I think there was uh, we've, yeah, yeah you could. there was some we've, we've chatted about this um, Matt a bit like just manipulating the way keywords were used. Like it could have been very easy to make that that Iarid rule that um, the rise yeah. of Rohan get. And just change it to a royal, like like a royal keyword or something like that, and then you could have it affect, you know, a Theodred or a Theoden or an Aemir, depending on who's your army leader, and that way you weren't always locked in with Theoden being the leader. And the same can be applied to um, kind of uh, Derwan Gambling and uh, who's the other one, Harmer, as well with their like Swarm Protector and uh, shenanigans they can do as well. Mm, yep. You could definitely do it another way, but my my counter to that would be, I think, um, like you don't have to. It, it, it's a it's a this is a good idea for a legendary legion in my opinion because it does give you the opportunity to play the force in a thematic way, but in a different way to normal. And yes, they could make it so that's always an option for Rohan. But then I guess you run into the problems of if it's always an option, is it always the go-to option does become an auto choice mm. as well. And, and and I think you want to avoid that where possible. And I, I do think the designers want to avoid that as well. And I think sometimes they, they don't get it quite right. But I think there is that that idea that you want to have choice. I, I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe maybe you guys don't agree with this, but I think the, the, the game designers actually want us to have some choices with this. And I think that's what they're trying to do. And it doesn't always manifest itself in that way. But I think that that's that's at the core of one of their, their desires. They want you to be able to look at all the army lists and things and say, oh, I want to play this, I want to play this, I want to play this, not be stuck to, well, if I'm a competitive player, I play this, and if I'm a theme player, I play this army. Yeah, no, to- totally agree with, with that, yeah. I Obviously, the existence of Legendary Legions suggests that they are trying to encourage us to take those things and not be at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. 100% on that. Uh, my my pro my, my issue and worry kind of going forward with it though is the is is the, is how much of a carrot they're giving us to want to play these legendary legions because one of the things that you know I'm I'm really worried about uh, particularly with two legendary legions that I kind of stick out as a bit of a sore sore thumb as really negative gameplay experiences like we, we talked about this heaps before about what makes a game fun and that and particularly the Black Riders and the Rangers of Athelion uh, Legendary Legions have such overpowering play styles and rules that you can feel like you're not playing the game and my worry is that if they keep going down this, this, this road with Legendary Legions and keep introducing more Legendary Legions like this that you know create these really powerful almost overpowered rules that aren't fun to play against it could really drastically affect our kind of how we play the game and and what is considered competitive and stuff because i don't know about you but if if you walked into a tournament and you saw the black right like five black rider army lists and you know another five rangers of athelion lists would would that be a tournament you want to rock up to because they are extraordinarily compelling to play because of how powerful the rules they get from their legion provide to the table. It's not like, you know, the, the Kirithungal list where, you know, Shilo gets a little bit of a buff and Shagrat and Gorbag can do a Legolas and Gimli and camp kills or it's not like the army of um, the dead where, you know, you are limited by fight value of the basic guys and stuff like that. This is This is a list that goes... Right, I'm throwing fifty plus shots at you, or 
I am not going to let you charge me the whole game because of how many neg buffs you get to courage. Mm, I'm not so worried about that, Carly. I feel like the the design team is active enough that if it does get to the point where where a couple of the choices are, are auto choices, that they'll they'll do something about it. I think they've shown that they're, they're willing to do that. So I think I'm not too worried from that point of view. And I also think that my experience has been that the people tend to take... They're using Legendary Leeches as an excuse to finally play that army that they've, they've always wanted to play, but they really haven't because it's either was too challenging to because of the, the rules or it was too much of a negative that, that they didn't want to. So things like that, that new Shelob list, I'm seeing lots of people wanting to play that because they've always had it in the back of their mind that they wanted to play that but hadn't really known how to play that. I know we've got good use out of that list beforehand, but other people haven't. I've, I know I've had conversations with people who have said, I would love to, or I've tried it a few times and I just can't get it to work. And now they've got the Legendary Legion. That's enough for them to, to be able to play what they've always wanted to. So I'm, I I get the the concern regarding uh, like some becoming just better than others. And I do, I, I, I'm a bit scared of playing that affiliate list because I feel like in, in my hands, um, it's going to be a non-game a lot of the time. And I feel like it's it's not going to... That's just not going to be a good use of time, really. Especially if I get that matchup where I can just stand back and shoot and have my Elven Cloaks going and cancel their Elven Cloaks and all that sort of fun stuff for me and me only. Uh, so, yeah. So, that, sorry, I, I do see the concern there. And I think Black Riders potentially could be the same with their, their hero assassination ability. I'd really, like to, I'd really like to actually know what all of our listeners think about Legendary Legions. Because I, I feel like I haven't asked enough people about Every it. single one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I want pe- actually, like, I don't, I don't think I ever asked people to comment, but could you please comment and, and tell us what it is you think about Legendary <laughs> Legions and how they have changed the game, and do you like them, do you not? Just let us know, because uh-huh. I'm, I'm really interested in people's opinions on that one. We need to get people to, like... Uh... What, what what do they have to do? Like and subscribe. Oh, like, subscribe, and comment. Stuff that the people on YouTube right. hit the bell. For. Yeah, uh, yeah. Name please, your firstborn son, Matt. Bell. You know all uh, of that. I, I I yeah. I get what you're saying, Jeremy. It's just I don't know. I, I'm I'm worried because of like particularly with that wraith list. There's just it's not the just learn to beat it, Kyle. It's, it's not the fact that it's I, I can do that, Jeremy. It's just it's not just the fact that they've like given them a lot of really powerful tools, it's that they've taken away one of the, the defining features of ring wraiths, which were the, the things that they play around. Because, like, I, I haven't really touched on it, but I think one of the things I would like to see more of in the game is rules that both players can play around, particularly negative rules. That Will of Evil rule is has been so quintessential to ring wraiths, and it was, it was really disappointing to see them remove it and basically go say, go for your life, fight as many combats as you want. Where beforehand, it's like, well, hang on, we've had to play around this rule for, for so many years and, and, and play in a certain way, and it, it provided a certain feel to the ring race. And it was just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Well, Kylie, we haven't done the Legendary Legion three episode yet. I don't think the one about the uh, the quest of the Ringbearer yes. one. So I'm I'm actually keen to try that one out and actually see if, see if I'm right on it. Because for me, it's just theory. I know you play with it a little bit, but I wouldn't mind trying that out. And there's some other cool ones in the quest of the Ringbearer as well that that I feel like I'm not really at the point where I can comment yeah. too much on. Yeah, I've, I've, I've played a bit with them, and particularly that Balrog one. The Balrog one is fun, actually. Uh, I give. Uh... Thumbs up on the Barrow one. The Barrow one was, was a really cool design one. I've heard people say that's the most powerful one as well, really? which is interesting. Oh. So I, I mean, yeah, I have, I have, I like, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I've, I've heard that being said. 
Huh. I, I need to keep I my... I think it's really good. Yeah, I, 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 thought, really it, good. I thought... I felt it was fun to play, and my opponents um, had it fun... Uh, had fun playing with it, too. At least that's what they were telling me. Like, oh, that was a really fun game. Man, that... Blah, 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 blah. And kind of going into it. But, alright. We'll get into the kind of... The last thing we're going to talk about is is just changes we would like to see. If we had, like, a wish list of, of, of stuff... <laughs> Uh, just a, just a couple from from each of you of of what. Oh, okay. Sorry, not an infinite amount this yeah, time. Yeah, not an infinite amount. Just a couple of things that you, you would really like to see within an army list, or added to an army list, or change within an army list, or something changed within the game. We've kind of done a bit already, but this is kind of a a blank slate, a a a a letter to Santa, if you will, or, or a letter to the design team. Um, more moreover, so. Uh, yeah, well, why don't you... Can I start? Can I start so you don't take mine? I was, I was about to throw to you, Jeremy. Of course you can start. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I win. <laughs> take that, Matt. Um, ah, I, want, no. I want generic war gear options for uh, unnamed heroes that, that allow them to do their... Essentially, what's like like the drummer role thing. So may, whether it's a, a special banner that they can have, maybe it's army-specific, a special like bosun role, something like that. The ability to to give them some sort of either war gear or ability that changes their role and makes it a, a bit more interesting to play and some somewhat unique about that. I think that gets away, uh, it would help out a lot of those um, armies that don't have a lot of named heroes. So thinking about uh, some of the Hobbit ones, for example, uh, like um, uh, Riverdale Knights don't necessarily need the help, but they, they don't have a lot of named heroes. I guess they've got some, and maybe Lindia is this role that I'm talking about. But But some of those other armies, I would love you to be able to say, Okay, well, I've got an army that's got one one named hero, three unnamed heroes, but every one of the unnamed heroes has got something a little bit unique about them. This guy's my my speed guy, and this guy's my my defensive guy, and this guy's my I don't know whatever my um, my courage guy, and 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 go for it that way. And there's a lot of stuff in um, the battle companies that you could probably mm. port out or modify. Yeah. So I think some of that. Would be really cool. So that's that's my one, and I'm not going to take many more because I'm going first, and I probably stole the idea of someone else. But that's my one wish list. Okay, okay. I, I'm going to go like really specific. I'm literally looking at the army list book, and I'm going through each of the army lists and sort of thinking about if there's anything I want to change. Numenor, I want a cavalry option, and I want uh, steel bows. I don't even know what steel bows would do. I just want them to have some kind of shooting superiority because that was, like, their whole thing. That was why one of the reasons Sauron feared them so much is because of their steel bows. Uh, let me see what else we got here. You could um, go extra strength or extra range. Probably strength three. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It it, it doesn't even matter. You know what? It, it doesn't even matter, like, what it would be. As no, long as it was something just cool. something cool. Exactly. Rivendell, I want the fight value thing I've been talking about. I want those heroes to be a little bit more broken up. I want Glorfindel to be fight 8. He should be fight 8. Make him fight 8, please. Make Elrond fight 7 again. Wait, did he used to be fight 7? I feel like he did. Anyway, bump him up. Fix that up a little bit. Um, Other than that, they're fine. What else have I got here? Kylie, if you have anything you want to throw in in the meantime, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, I was actually sitting here room magic because I got so many ideas that kind of like... Okay. Touched on them uh, a little bit. Uh, I would like to see uh, more creative. Uh, uh, sorry, well, not creative, but uh, Jeremy kind of stole my ability to to upgrade. Yes, yes, that's why I went yes. first. Um, yeah. I would like to see uh, more one use only abilities uh, in the game. I think one use only abilities as a resource is a really kind of fun uh, way of adding these really uh, impactful uh, actions. 
but are very limited in how often you get to use them. That's, that was probably one of the things I would like to see more of. Um, particularly with, say, like, our horns. I would like to see, like, war horns turned into, say, a free heroic move that a warrior can call or something like that. I think that would be really cool because then including a 20-point war horn is suddenly a do I really need this extra heroic move or maybe a heroic march or something like that. I thought think would be uh, would be really cool. Yeah, we, we mentioned it also back in part one, but the uh, the shamans and low-level spellcasters, I'd really like them to see some kind of different play rather than sort of having very obvious uses that aren't particularly interesting. Um, so, sustain. We, we talked all about, about it all before in depth, so I won't uh, go further into that. Another thing is, uh, for the Eastlings, I'd really like to see a new warrior profile. I'd like it to look really cool if it was in a silhouette. I'd and like have letter openers as the weapons. That's right. Potentially, uh, what are they called? Kunai, I think they're called, or something. They're like these throwing knives, uh, spe- very specifically. I think they're Japanese. Is it Japanese? Yeah, I, I want to say the Japanese. Maybe. But really cool little throwing knives. Um, I want them to retain the design of their helmets so that it's really, really obvious in silhouette that they're Easterlings uh, and potentially have two attacks. That'd be really cool. What I reckon be cool with Easterlings is if they had a warrior troop that was bad at fighting warriors but really good at fighting heroes. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So maybe maybe, maybe something like a, like a fight three warrior. And it's like, it's, it's garbage against other troop types. But you put it into a hero... It sort of like jumps up to like five or six and gets like modifiers to their to their dual role or or their ability to, to wound the hero. I reckon that would be that would be kind of cool. Nice, nice. I, I, okay, I'm going into Eastlings again. I, I really want the cataphracts to be better. Um, give them an impact hit. Screw it. Uh, the the Mahood already have it. They're just camels. Give the heavy cavalry of the Eastlings one strength three. It can be strength three impact hit. Uh, it would completely change them and make them so good. Give them terror. Oh, on the charge. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. 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 Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. That'd, that'd give them a, a different use. And you'd have to then set up your charges really well. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. I like that. Give them both. I like that. Give them both of those things. Yeah. Oh, what else we got? I don't know. I, I'm pretty happy with those changes. I, I don't want to go across every single list. No, um, don't. Uh, Please don't. No. <laughs> and those are um, just some of my favorite personal lists that I think would really benefit from those changes. And the Shaman thing. Yeah. All right. I've, I've got one, Jeremy. Uh, just, just before you kind of throw in your last kind of ideas. I would like to see um, an ability or, or ways of incorporating into your list a way of strategically changing how you're playing the game. So... Specifically, I reckon, uh, like, uh, altering your deployment or, or how you deploy. Like, for instance, being able to hold a warband back in reserve or being able to have a warband start a little bit further into the table or be able to make one free move at the start of the game or, you know, something that allows you to, you know, change how your army functions in specific type terms of the game like say it um gets better once it's broken but it's weaker before it's broken or it's stronger before it's broken and then gets you know something like that some something to on, on like a strategic get level on a big kind of stepping back from the board level i would like to be able to change how we move around the table uh just a, just a little bit more and and how how the the overall picture of the game or where models are positioned uh, I'd like to see something, some sort of change. A bit kind of like uh, how uh, Fates and Fortunes sort of did it in War of the Ring, but not kind of. How you could, there were some units that kept off the board or ambushed onto the board. I, I reckon that'd be cool. Hmm. Yeah, 
Not a bad idea. Yeah, that sounds like good. They kind of did it with the with the mercenaries. More of that, please. Why can't why can't like rangers or stuff just pop up in the middle of a, a forest or something in the middle of the board or or something like that? Heck yeah, stalkers. Why can't stalkers do that? The whole thing is hiding. I want specific like open play rules, but uh, but more sort of narrative in a way. So having things like rules for um, like wandering warbands that aren't part of either army. They just go and ambush you as you're playing and things like that. Just cool stuff that can happen and a bit more like random effects. So instead of playing the the serious game, like, okay, we're playing a tournament game where everything has to be fair. Kyle, let's play one of them and let's have it so that, that, uh, I don't know, there's some some really bad weather on one side of the board. So we have to like start moving across the board or else we're going to start getting drenched or whatever. Like some, just some, some interesting Mm. layers on that way. Or maybe maybe like there's an art, there's an artifact that kind of uh, pops up in the middle of the board and suddenly all the spell casters that go near it suddenly can start throwing channeled spells without having to spend my or something like that. Or maybe a cave drake wanders onto the table and starts eating people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. love a cave drake, something going on. Or you get like a, a cloud of bats that goes and like, um, blocks out the sky or whatever. So you get like, of darkness and your, your shooting's less effective and all, all this sort of stuff maybe and or just classic you know they remember those old mortal rules where you used to like fall down into lava and things like that I know this is just cheating a little bit but do you guys remember the eye of Sauron rules for the mm. actual physical eye like you could move like this little eye token around that would act as like this banner I reckon I think we played in a cool. scenario one time yeah, yeah I reckon Mordor would get a lot of cool bang for your buck if they actually had that as an army bonus. They didn't get all these rerolls for having more warriors and stuff. They actually physically got a token that is the Eye of Sauron that just goes around and looks at people. And gives it them yeah, it gives gives them rerolls <laughs> or but or a buff or something like that. That'd be cool. Get on it, design team, get on it. I would like that. <laughs> um I think yeah, what what you're describing, Jeremy, is just like environmental effects, right? Like, yeah, I, I would like to see. But a bit also more of that. also like um like the potential for like things to jump out of terrain or like a wandering wizard to show up and they might yeah. not necessarily be be helpful to either side but yeah it's essentially terrain effects but yeah d- it didn't might we have like... that at one point where there was like a, a spider could appear in your forest or something that's um was that's that... uh battle yeah, companies yeah. does that good. Was battle companies it has some yeah, really cool right. stuff like a barrowite just rocks up and starts paralyzing people i actually like to try and incorporate that into my battle companies game like actually get those rules rolling but um, yeah, yeah. Most people are like, cool. "Oh no, that's too crazy for me." Let's just play battle companies. I'm like, "But, but it's part of the rules. Part of the rules." <laughs> yeah, and that's why I think it would be nice to have that sort of um, that that extra layer where it's not the most serious of of um, like competitive games where it's not just like, "Well, my skill is better than your skill." But let, let's let's have an event that's almost like a tournament, but it's it's that that space where okay, it's like a tournament, but there's some crazy things going, and I know that um. That, that Lockie from Zorpazorp sort of tried to do things like that in the tournament and um, his and, and add extra rules. And I think having some that are that are almost sanctioned, I think would be really cool. And, and you can start with something as simple as weather effects or um, environmental effects. But I really like the idea of like like wandering monsters and um, the other things like Pakawag shows up or whatever and ambushes both forces or something else. I think there'd be cool stuff going on. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Well, I think, unless you guys have got anything, other last remarks and stuff, I, th- I think we're about, you know, critically analyze the absolute crap out of this game. I think we've just done wishlisting. I think that's been the main thing, hasn't it? We have analysed the bejesus out of this entire game. We've gone through every word in the rulebook, 
and we've told <laughs> you exactly what needs to be changed and why. And I hope I'm just you really enjoy everything it. that's 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 not wish listing. On a serious side, like no, this, this game is for all the flaws I've talked about it. 90, 99% of this game is absolutely sublime. Alleged flaws. Alleged flaws. Sorry, I apologize. Of, of all the alleged flaws we've talked about, 99% of this game is absolutely stellar. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that's Kylie's stats. I mean, look at it this way. Look look, look at it this way. The episode's going to be, what, about three hours? Where a, a lot of it was a, a, a sort of things we would like. But then... We talk for hours and hours and hours about the things that are already there that we love, you know? Like, mm. it's a fantastic game, and I know everyone listening to this is, and has got this far into the episode is fully aware of how much we love it and uh, how much I'm sure you guys love it too. Mm. Yes, uh, it's... I hope they're, sure they're aware of how much they love it. They I hope like... they're aware of yeah. that, yes. I couldn't figure out a way to end that sentence, but thank you for pointing <laughs> it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really looking to, like get into some really crazy stuff. I've got some terrain projects coming up that I'm super looking forward to showing you, Jeremy, because I hope you're ready to finally get into that Kaza Doom supplement and actually play through all the scenarios because I have just about finished all the terrain for it. Fantastic. Are we talking, is it Kaza Doom or is it the, um, the one yeah, before no, that? Yeah, no, it's Kaza Doom and the, the one before it too, technically, because it kind of, <gasps> cool, the terrain's cool, cool. kind of similar. Yeah. Sounds good, I know. Yeah. I made you that promise like three years ago that I was going to do it. Oh, it's probably and now I've actually finally got it. Like the pillars done, the rock formations done. I got most of the barrels done now. Just need to just need to get the last bits and pieces. Do you have those mirrors? I think there was a rules about those, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Really I've cool. got to get the mirrors. I've got to get the mirrors finished. I've got to get the doorways finished. The like the trap doors and stuff that that rocks around. Uh, and yeah, there's there's a couple of bits and bits and pieces. Basically, it's all the unique terrain features specific to to the scenarios. Yay, take that, listeners. I get to play some more scenarios. <laughs> yeah, but uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining me on this very uh, peculiar... Peculiar? We're going to go with peculiar episode. Uh, enjoyed having a nice, big chat about the Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, strategy battle game with you. And uh, as always, guys, just remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at the Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.